We be live. Oh, I it's like it's news time, Beatrice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to be covering the latest news on atheism, secularism, um, some politics, maybe some cultural stuff. Susie. Demographics. Pick um, demographics. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Mostly religion related, though. Yeah. Always religion related, just in many categories. Yes, yes. I see Music Guy and D in the live chat. Our favorite people are here. Say hi, guys, in the live chat if you're here. And also, make sure you like the video. Suze, we don't, I, you know, we are not professional streamers because we don't say that. Like, it gets, like, I see other streamers, they keep saying, like, don't forget to like and subscribe. And we don't say that. We should keep telling people that. Guys, it I doesn't cost make an you. effort at the end, but you're right. No, we should say that at the beginning. Guys, it helps us grow if you actually like these videos. It, more people will discover us if you like it. It doesn't cost you anything. So it's just, like. Do a like, you know, we're doing this for free for you guys. Like you get this for free. So you might as well just like help us out with a like, right? Um, all right. Should we clap for the first news? Yes. First news. First news. New study finds atheists are more likely to believe that aliens exist. A report titled Preliminary Assessment, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UAP, by the Office of the Director of National Defense in the United States, released on July, uh, June 25th, uh, caused a flurry of debate regarding the existence of aliens. A study by the Pew Research Center, which was sparked in part by the ODND's report, found out that religious adults are more likely to doubt the existence of alien life versus those who are less religious. 77% of those uh, of both the atheist and agnostic participants say that their best guess is that life exists on other planets. Tom Flynn, the editor of the humanist magazine Free Inquiry, posited that religious people are less likely to believe in alien life because it undermines the core of their beliefs. I mean, this makes complete sense. Like, if I had to guess, this is what I would guess. If you have two groups of people and one of them considering a, a new, like a hypothesis, and if they had to, if they if that hypothesis would challenge everything they believe, group A would challenge you know, their beliefs if they accepted, if they had to come up with the likelihood of a hypothesis, like if they had to accept it, and group B, it wouldn't challenge all their already accepted beliefs. It would be more likely that group B would, on average, would attribute a higher possibility to the hypothesis given that it doesn't challenge certain views that they already hold like honestly this is like a I, by the way when i say this is what we would expect this is not a dismissal of studies right this is just so happens that the results are what you would expect right you still need studies because a lot of times the results are the opposite of what you expect just because you expect a certain mm -hmm. result that doesn't mean that you should not do studies, okay? Because there are many times that you expect something and then the study results come out like, oh my God, this went exactly the opposite of what I assumed. Just so happens here that it went in the direction that we would have expected, I think, right? Yeah, like, not, it was really interesting. 
I just w- want to clarify that I'm not being anti-intellectual by mm-hmm. saying this is what we expected because we still need to do studies. But yeah, go on. It was really interesting. So they um, gathered this information in a variety of ways, in a, a variety of ways of um, determining someone's kind of religiosity. And all of kind of the standard markers of religiosity was an indicator that someone was not likely to believe in the possibilities of intelligent life on another planet. For example, um, about, wait, where was it? Um, the, bu- 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 shoot. Sorry. Well, while, while you're looking for that, I just want to say that what, what do they mean by alien? Just like life somewhere else? Um, Is that the- intelligent life. Intelligent extra intelligent oh, life. Okay, that's very specific. Because if they were just saying life, that would be like, duh. Like, obviously, like the universe is so big. But also intelligent life. I mean, the universe is so big, it's like, it wouldn't be, again, it wouldn't be, like, this is, the problem is that just, when they say alien, they put pictures, like, what, like, look at the cover that our editors pick, right? When you pick pictures like this, then it might seem ridiculous to be, like, believe in that specific type of alien, right? But does intelligent life exist somewhere in this goddamn universe? It wouldn't be, it's not an extraordinary claim, right? Like, if you have the right conditions, you're going to have life. If you have life, give it enough time, you're probably going to get some intelligence. Well, I don't know. Pro- I don't actually know probably because I can't. I, it, like, most people are incapable of actually doing the math when it comes to the probability of these things. Like, I know a lot of people uh, smarter than us are doing the math. But most people who come up with conclusions like this, they, don't, they themselves n- can't do the math and haven't even looked up the work of the people who have done the math. So they have no business attributing probability to the likelihood of this, right? You could just mm-hmm. maybe refer to, I mean, if you have looked at other people who are experts who have tried to do the math, then you could maybe um, appeal to the experts. But given if you haven't, then even if you come up with a guess, you have to admit to yourself that this is nothing but a guess, right? You have like You have no idea how probable this is, right? But again, it doesn't seem like an extraordinary, like people, some people think like this is really out, like if anybody believes this is true, this is not like an out there, like a superstitious belief. If, 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 if intelligent life happened on this planet, uh, you know, it means that this is something within the realm of possibility for it to happen on a planet somewhere in the universe. And unless there's something Ma- magical or super- supernatural about our planet, then this is, could possibly happen on another planet somewhere in the universe. This is not an ex- extraordinary claim. So I don't think like religious people just saying outright like, oh, I, can't, I don't believe this is true because it just it, it challenges their belief. They have nobody has any business saying that this is not possible, right? It's it's definitely it's definitely possible, but how possible? That is a very complicated question, and most people mm-hmm. have no idea. Yeah. So I found what I was looking for. Um, this is evidence, meaning like there are findings that um, Americans who are religious are less likely to say that there is intelligent life beyond Earth is um, evidenced by a variety of measures of religious engagement. For example, um, 
any uh, U.S. adults who attend religious services on at least a weekly basis are considerably less likely than those who seldom or never attend services to say that intelligent life exists elsewhere, meaning 4%, 44% of frequent attenders or weekly attenders versus 75% of seldom attenders. Similarly, around half of Americans who say religion is very important to them, which is 49% of their sample, say their best guess is that intelligent life exists on other planets, so a minority. By comparison, roughly three quarters of those who say a religion is less important in their lives, which is 76%, say that intelligent life does exist elsewhere or might exist elsewhere. Um, until adults who pray daily are also less likely than those who seldom or never pray to say intelligent life exists on other planets, which is 54% versus 80%. White evangelical Protestants who tend to be highly religious are less likely than any other religious groups to say intelligent life probably exists on other planets. 40% hold this view, so minority of white evangelical Protestants. Most non-white, no, sorry, most white non-evangelical Protestants, um, which is 65%, Catholics, 67%, and religiously unaffiliated adults, 80%, say their best guess is that there is intelligent life beyond Earth. And they also noted that due to the limitations of their sample size, um, they weren't able to gain meaningful or significant findings um, for Jewish or Muslim Americans. Um, but I thought this was a really interesting breakdown. Um, interesting. Do you, what do you think? By the way, your views on this? Um, I mean, it kind of makes sense, like for all the reasons um, that other people have posited. I don't know if anyone I has studied specifically um, in a more strenuous systematic way what could explain these findings. But, oh no no! Um, I meant, I meant your views on whether intelligent life exists somewhere. Uh, well, to quote a uh, ghost bunny in the live chat, I think it's more probable. I think the yeah, she says I believe the possibility of alien life is more like or more than of I do of God. So I think <laughs> that's an understatement, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, well, I mean, okay, so here's a, here's another thing I think, okay. Um, I think it's very possible. Again, I'm not going to use the word probable because it's hard to calculate these. Possible is an easier thing to say. Mm -hmm. I think it's possible for us to find like some sort of life at some point, you know, somewhere. But even if there is intelligent life somewhere in the universe, I think it's very, again, this is, I'm just, I, there's, I could be very, very wrong. I'm just guessing, right? So, if anybody wants to disagree with me, you're, you know, you're possibly right and I'm wrong, right? Uh, but I think if there is intelligent life somewhere in this universe, there is, we're never going to find, we're never going to contact them, okay? I think it's very possible that we're going to find life, like some really basic form of life on some planet somewhere. But, I mean, the nearest star to us is like, how far is the nearest star? Uh, how many, four light years away? You mean besides our sun? Yeah, the nearest star, uh, other than ours. Uh, yeah, other than, yeah, the the nearest star to us is eight minutes, eight minutes, eight <laughs> minute light, minutes light in, or whatever, eight, eight light minutes away. Okay, after our sun, um, 
the next one is four light years away, right? So four light years away, yeah. that means that if any, if there is intelligence, so if there is life uh, that we could contact, it's either in our solar system, it's either in this close to this star that we have, or which we would have probably found by now if there is intel, if it's if it was intelligent. So it's yeah. not. So if we're gonna find life anywhere around in our neighborhood, it's going to be not intelligent. If there is intelligent life anywhere else, that means that it's the closest, the next closest one is four light years away. And four light years away is enough, is far enough for us never to be able to reach each other unless we have godlike powers. Like what you know what I mean? Like you can't travel in you know, I don't, I don't know. Like it, it has to be, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to, like, yeah, I, I, it has to be in the closest, uh, you know, solar system next to us, which is four light years away. And if it's not in that one, then it's definitely so far. Like, well, I shouldn't say definitely. Then it's so far away that unless the intelligent life has some godlike powers that we have, that I don't know how they managed to achieve, like somehow they broke every law of <laughs> physics and math or anything then we're going to be forever separate and we're never going to ever reach each other. Right. So that's, I don't know, unless, no, I don't know. Maybe, maybe even if we find each other because we somehow send messages into the void, even if we find mm -hmm. each other through messages, we're never going to meet each other. Right. Like yeah. it would be impossible for us to meet each other, even if we manage to send messages to each other. Yeah, but that's yeah, like a, a message in a bottle, just like, here's hoping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hey, we noticed you. And then we send a message back, oh, we noticed you noticing us, but we'll never meet each other unless we become godlike or something, right? So, and even if, and if that happens, we'll probably, and also if we ever, if, if they ever manage to reach us, they're probably going to be here to annihilate us, <laughs> I think, because what else, what other motivation would they have to come meet us? Um, like if you have such if you have if you're that advanced to be able to travel distances that are light years apart then you probably have figured everything out like you have no mm. you have no need for food or energy like you could like if if that's it, your capabilities that you could travel like light years then the only reason why would you come here there's nothing you could learn from us we don't have anything to give you you have like you could turn matter into energy anytime you want. Like you have you're traveling light years. There's nothing here for you. you. There's no curiosity that you're trying to satisfy because you are so godlike that that itch has already been scratched to to forever. You know to point of full satisfaction. So the only reason if you're that godlike, the only reason why you would have the only motivation that you have to come here is because you want to prevent anything else in this universe close in, in your neighborhood to become godlike. So that it might not be like it's just game theory, right? In that situation, you will come here to just make sure that we're fully wiped out, so we'd never become a challenge to you. But go on. When we were talking, I was doing a little googling out of curiosity about life in our solar system, and I found this article published by the Guardian um, a week ago, uh, titled "Many Neptunes Beyond Solar System May Soon Yield Signs of Life," and basically it talks about how researchers have expanded the kinds of planets that they're looking for or that they're rethinking what may, might be habitable. And it says they have now identified a new class of habitable exoplanets 
called Hycean planets, hot ocean covered in with hydrogen-rich atmospheres, which are more numerous and observable than Earth-like planets. The mini-Neptune, known as K218b, is one, and there could be many more in the existence. And then it says, um, quote, we are saying that within two or three years, we may see the first biosignature detection if these planets host life, uh, according to James Webb. And that they are launching, no, no, the James Webb, Webb Space Telescope is due to launch in November and could aid this search. So maybe we will have, you know, some more exciting uh, developments in the next two or three years. Yeah, and also just unintel. We're talking about unintelligent life. Yeah, there, obviously. Well, and right? this is just for a detection if if it could sustain life, if it could even be habitable. But hab habitable doesn't mean that it actually did bring forth a life form. Yes, interesting. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, should we go? Is there anything you want to highlight, or should we go to the next news? Um, let's go to the next news. Can we clap? Yes, this is just like dramatic and kind of interesting. Next news. Oh, wait. Okay. Next news. Let me, Let me try again. Let me try again because you were talking. Next news. <laughs> next news. Hindu militants burn Kama Sutra depicting Hindu gods in vulgar poses. No uh, Mashrang Dal, the youth arm of the Hindu nationalist organization Vishva Hindu Parishad, burned a copy of the Kama Sutra in front of a bookstore. According to Bajrang Dal, the Kama Sutra has inappropriately depicted Hindu gods, referring to the various sexual positions shown in the group, calling the positions vulgar poses and an objectionable depiction of Lord Krishna. The copy the group burned was taken from Latitude, a book chain and gift store located in Ahmedabad. Aside from a violent protest against a book that promotes a positive view of sexuality, the group also threatened to burn down the bookstore if they continued selling copies of the Kama Sutra. The president of Bajrangdal's uh, Northern Jugrat chapter, uh, his name is uh, Jawalit Mehta, stated that the burning of the book is a warning to bookstore owners in Ahmedabad that if they keep objectionable material that hurts Hindu sentiments, next time the shops will be set on fire. Can you read this comment that I highlighted? Uh, Mishka is saying, I don't understand why theists have something against sexy gods. Where do they think baby gods come from? <laughs> <laughs> This is so ironic, this news. They have gone full circle. They're like, they have gone, they are becoming so influenced by sex negativity from other cultures that they're turning on their own culture. <laughs> like, they, this is, you know, I am very much against Hinduism, okay? But one thing that I could, OG Hinduism, one thing you couldn't, Maybe criticize it. I mean, you could technically, actually, never mind. But not it. It wasn't as sex negative as Abrahamic religions, right? Um, but it has become so influenced by Christianity and Islam that it has become so sex negative that the current Hindu culture is to turn on original <laughs> Hindu culture 
it has just gone full circle and has turned against itself. <laughs> like this is our culture. Our current culture finds our original culture too sex positive. This is unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> old, our old culture is heresy to our current culture because we are too Abrahamic. It's so funny because these are people who are so anti-Abrahamic religions, and now and they don't have any self-awareness that this is because of the influence of Abrahamic religions that they're this sex negative, that they find this so offensive is because of the influence of the thing they hate the most, which is which is Abrahamic Abrahamic religions. You know, it's a it's a, it's it's the influence of the Islamic Empire on India and the British Empire on India, like the Victorian mindset of like purity, and you know the, it's, the Victorians uh, were modesty. extremely sex negative. It's one of the most like um, oh detrimental aspects of or detrimental eras for human sexuality. It com yeah. it completely pathologized it in a way that was very unprecedented or. So I learned when I was studying this for my minor in college. So D is saying, well, they will have to tear down a lot of temples, I guess. <laughs> That's so true, though, because there's statues and carvings into the walls of the outside of the temples of the gods making love to each other. Right. And, you know, but... um traditionally or maybe not traditionally maybe this is a more modern kind of interpretation of it to try to rationalize it they say like oh it's like a, this sex is a representation of um human values or aspirations coming together to form a more perfect union so like um i, w I went to a uh exhibit in the asian art museum in my area and they were talking about how um like in these sexual poses that are on temples, like the male figure, which is usually Lord Krishna represents compassion and the female figure, which is usually um, his consort or uh, wife slash, I don't know, uh, Radha. Um, I can't remember what the female form is supposed to represent more like maybe intellect. I can't remember, but um, I thought this was, really interesting because this is um a long-standing part of indian culture and i thought it was also important to bring up because um some people on our team who are ex-hindus are critical of the way we've talked about the kama sutra in the past and basically us saying like why in response to the backlash we got for a sexy Kali, like, why are you being so sex negative? Like this is actually part of Hindu scripture or whatever. And they say, well, just because it was written by a Hindu, that doesn't actually necessarily make it part of Hindu scripture. And That's so why. it's not accurate to right. make that comparison the way we were. Yes. Well, here's the thing. Actually, if you notice, I have been very careful about what I just said. Like if you rewind this video and listen to what I said, I didn't say this is, Hinduism, I said this is part of India's culture, right? So, for example, I mean, text in Kama Sutra, you, that doesn't make it Hinduism just because it's like an early Indian text like, or a Hindu text. Like when you say Hindu culture, you're not necessarily meaning Hinduism. Like you're maybe talking about the ethnic, the culture that comes from that ethnic group, right? So I specifically, I was, so anybody who wants to criticize like, oh, this is just part of like, are you know early texts and you know that doesn't mean it's part of the religion yeah i know that's why i was very careful i said 
your early culture, like this part of your culture. I didn't say religion, right? So, haha, like I know what I'm saying. I'm <laughs> yes, I think we've gotten yeah. a lot better about talking about this, um, yeah, than in the past. But, Ermin, if you go, um, in our notes, you'll see that I left a link oh. for a video for us to show because it's a thread on um, Twitter that I think would be kind of informative. Okay. Let me I'll see. Bring that up. But before I bring that up, can I just say, like, don't worry. Like, I just have got some good news for India. Like, I know a lot of people, um, you know, India's, you know, modern culture is very sex negative. Okay. But me and Susanna and the rest of Atheist Republic team are here to save India <laughs> from its sex negative culture. And I will just give you one example just to make a point, right? So look at, if you go to our website, uh, blasphemousart.com, right? Like you can see blasphemousart.com. You can see a picture here. Like we are making a lot of art just to introduce the world and India to sex positivity. So, and also because Islam is partly responsible for India becoming the sex negative, we're making Muhammad um, help out here, Muhammad and Rama here. So you can see this is the art that we depicted. Muhammad finds love in a Hindu God. And this is Lord Rama. And this is Muhammad, and they're having some gay adventures together, right? And we have a lot more art like this. So just well, go to we even have a mini series called Love Jihad Kama Sutra. Yeah, we have Love Jihad Kama Sutra, but this is the latest one that includes both Islam and um, Hinduism. We have a lot of art like this on blasphemousart.com. Okay, and if you want to see the uncensored version of this, you could click on there as well. Again, blasphemousart.com. Go and check out all of our blasphemous art. And uh, India, uh, you're welcome again. Um, let me just bring up the video that you mentioned. <laughs> well, and I thought this was very relevant to us, given our uh, sexy Kali scandal. Um, yes. And because we were saying, like, look at, like, Kali. Like, she's a naked woman running around, literally clothed in the arms and heads of demons. <laughs> and, like, this is what you're concerned about? Like, right. Um, so I wouldn't uh, play the audio on that because um, he's speaking Hindi oh. and I can't, under I'm assuming Hindi, I can't understand the word he's saying, but um, you can kind of just play that as B-roll. Um, so first they start off and they're inside the bookstore and they're like showing off what's so objectionable. Um, and it's, I don't know, kind of like the lack of self-awareness is very striking to me. Like this is when, before the burning. Yeah, and then there's another video later in the thread where they're actually outside and they're burning it. Um, oh, wow, okay. Why aren't they questioning, like, why was this okay? Right, like, when, you're right. They're showing that this is, his, look, like, they're showing very old historical statues. Like, you're right, they're, the lack of self-awareness is like amazing Like, their culture here. that they literally go beat people up over. Was yeah, this, this way and celebrated and documented as such? Like the Kama Sutra, my understanding is that it's a text that evolved over time. I could be wrong. Um, like it was celebrated as such. And here they are trying to burn it. No, like, you're right. Because he, he, this book is new. But if you actually look at the page that you're looking at, these are his old historical stuff. So do you have a problem with like your entire, like the entire history of this? Like, are you going to also, like, if you're burning this book, are you going to go find that statue 
statues like this all over there in India? Like, are you going to go turn down as historical statues as well or historical paintings? Like this book is just depicting something that exists out there that is part of your heritage. Like what, like, can you not maybe read the page before you actually burn it? <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, man. This like, like, look at what you're burning. Like the book is, yeah, the book is depicting it, but still, so is the statue. You're that burning. Is this is your culture. This is your heritage. <laughs> oh my God. You're so, that's a very good point that you're bringing. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's a very interesting thing. Um, so but I want to wait, go back up. I want to read the caption that this person tweeted. So breaking Barang Jal member burnt copy of Kama Sutra in a Ahmedabad book stall bookstore for showing quote Hindu deities in vulgar positions and threatened to burn bookstalls down. If Hindu sentiments are hurt in the future and then scroll down. Oh my god! Like, so why are so why are they upset about this book, but not the actual statue that is there? Like, why yeah. are they like for thinking, like? Have you I not? Think we're thinking like, too did, much. Okay, we're thinking too much. And oh, then yeah, um, they go down, and it says uh, Vatsayana's Kama Sutra has been the pride of India for centuries, and has been the sculptures of uh, Jata Ilora. Oh my gosh. Kajun, Rahul, and Kodak. So what do we expect? Bamiyan Buddha-style demolition of all Indian heritage? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. These people just hate sex. I think they just don't get laid. And they just want everyone else to be as miserable as they are. It's amazing of how much sex negativity is, is literally just that. Like, so much sex they... negativity is literally just, I don't get laid, so no one can either. <laughs> This is why they have love jihad conspiracies because they can't comprehend Muslims getting laid unless there's a conspiracy behind it. Like, like they can't like, how is this possible? Like, how how are these people getting laid? Like, how are they getting laid and we're not? This must be a conspiracy. Yeah. So here's where is they're it? actually burning it. Whoosh. Okay. They, they oh, and then they started yelling like Jai Shri Ram. Yeah, like, Jai Shri Ram for cue. people who don't. Jai Shiram, by the way, people for people who don't know, is the Allahu Akbar of Hinduism, right? And it means like, you know, long live Lord Ram. Is that glory, is glory, glory to, glory to Lord Rama? I mean, long live doesn't make sense. He's like immortal, so you're right. <laughs> long live, like he literally can't. I mean, he does. He's not immortal. He just reincarnates. <laughs> Gossam is saying they're shouting takbir. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Wait, you should like say Ram Akbar. That would be amazing. Ram Akbar. Ramo Akbar. But what I liked about, and then this, the person who made that Twitter thread um, brings up a very good point. Um, wait, I wanted to read one more thing. Because he's oh. saying, what do, so what should we expect? Are they going to start like how the Taliban like destroyed that famous Buddha, like in a demolition of Afghani heritage? Like, are they? Are we going to start expecting them to start destroying our own Indian heritage in the same way, like in the pursuit of like iconoclasticism, like um, iconoclasticism, like um, trying to construct a, uh, an idea of our past that never existed? It's historical revisionism. You're actually yeah. doing a disservice to your own heritage more than you're you perceive that book to be doing so. Yeah, you're Islamizing 
your Hinduism. Your Abrahamic <laughs> mindset is showing. <laughs> yeah. By the way, for people who don't know, this is what they say, tell us. It's so it's so funny because they they hate us and they tell us that the reason why we're like me and Susanna are so you know disgusting. We're perverted, and Armin. We're, we're so perverted. Yeah, the reason why we're perverted is because I'm an ex-Muslim and Susanna is an ex-Christian, and we're even though we're atheists, we still have that Abrahamic mindset, and that's why we're so interested in sex and sexuality because people with Abrahamic mindsets are perverted, but they don't understand that it's actually their their sex negativity that is Abrahamic. It's not us. Our sex positivity is not Abrahamic. Your sex negativity is Abrahamic. So you who hate Abrahamic religions, you have no idea how much you've been influenced by Abrahamic religions. Anyways. Um, so. Oh, by the way, read this comment that uh, while I get the so next one. is saying this is something Hindutva have been doing. They've managed to eliminate a lot of time-honored traditions in many parts of rural India. I'd be interested for like another example of that. Um, one thing, well, here, let me actually be like a devil's advocate here. One good thing that, you know, for all the things that we hate about Hindutva, one good thing about Hindutva is one thing that they're trying, to, they seem to be wanting to eliminate about time on tradition is casteism, right? So the caste system. So they say. Is, so they say, I don't know if I'm it's skeptical. true or not. You're skeptical of that? I okay. mean, they are so. Maybe that might so be like anti they're so anti-Islamic that they want to unite all Hindus against Islam. So they're like, let's get rid of the caste system because Islam is a greater threat, right? So, um, yeah. So I'm just trying to play devil's advocate like, so that we're not completely... Um, we're yeah, I'll, I'll acknowledge that that definitely is an ideological... Um, or that's part of the ideology. But I think just on my own observation of the news and stuff, I don't know how much that's actually a, um, hmm. a belief that's very well practiced throughout their supporters or their community or their many militant organizations. Right. Um, By the way, but, just you know, even if it's true, you know, that's not, doesn't mean that we're not going to criticize all the other horrible things about Hindutva. Okay. We'll give them that if that's true. Right. If Hindutva is actually against the caste system, we were like, okay, Good, you're against the caste system. That doesn't mean all the horrible bigotry that you have is going to be ignored. Um, yeah, so we're like, oh yeah, we're not so, gonna, we're not gonna be against the Dalits, but we're anti-Muslim bigots. So okay, you don't have one form of bigotry, but you have another form of bigotry. Um, all right, can we? Uh, like, see, actually, some people in the live chat are from India. I assume are saying Hindutva never opposed caste system. Okay, so that's why you're saying if, because we keep hearing that they do, all right? Um, so we don't know how accurate that is, but a lot of them, a lot of Hindutva keep, keep telling us that, why are you guys against Hindutva when Hindutva is trying to get rid of the caste system? So that's why we don't know how accurate that is, so we keep saying if that's true. Or get rid of casteism, technically. Casteism. Yeah, casteism. Yeah, you're right. The you're system right. has been abolished, but it's still very much a problem. Uh, the system hasn't been abolished. The system has been outlawed. But just because something is outlawed in India, it doesn't mean that it's a You're right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So semantic but important. <laughs> important. <yes. laughs> can we clap for the next news? No. Ooh. Okay. Next news. Next news. Pakistani model strangled to death by brother in quote unquote honor killing. 
And I say quote unquote because we refer to it uh, popularly as honor killing, but of course, uh, no one here actually believes that there is anything honorable in this. Anyways, um, on July 11th, Muhammad As- Aslam uh, reported to the Defense B police station that his stepsister had been murdered and uh, R-A-P-E-D. Uh, I'm not saying the full word because of YouTube. Um, Aslam stated to the police that he discovered his sister's body on the floor during a visit to her house on July 9th. The victim is Nayab Nadin, a 29-year-old Pakistani model who had recently returned from a trip to Dubai. The police were eager to resolve the murder case. Evidence collected from the crime scene indicates that Aslam was the last person to have seen Nadim alive. Aslam then confessed to the murder. In his confession, he explained that he killed Nadim because he she was, quote, disgracing the family's honor because he suspected her of having relationships with different men. During his last visit, he and the victim had an argument which led him to strangle her to death. To mislead the police, he stripped her clothes and made it appear as a RAPE slash murder case. As of yet, no report indicates Muhammad Aslan, uh, no reports indicates him of being charged with murder. Wait, what? No reports indicate that he's charged with murder? Um, why, hasn't he, why hasn't he been charged? Why hasn't he been charged with murder? Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. I'm just saying at the time that oh, we, we published don't. this, we could not confirm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, there was and I also no... want to note, um, our writer made a very good note that in some reports he's referred to as Muhammad Aslam, some Muhammad Ali, um, just for clarity. Okay. We have a very good writer, by the way. Mm-hmm. Keeps noticing things. Um, yeah, guys, by the way, check out like the link to all this news is in the description. Check out our news articles and they all come sourced. Like you can see all these hyperlinks. Our writer does a very good job to make sure that it links to where the news we, we're getting the multiple sources that we use to get the news from. Um, so, yeah. Um, so there was no actual, as, as far as we know, RAP. Again, we say RAP because YouTube might be sensitive to certain words. But there's no actual, like, he just made it look like that. He didn't actually do that to his own sister, right? Yes. He was okay. trying to um, frame, throw off the case, throw the police off do a little red herring, try to, um, uh, you know, distract them from him possibly being a suspect because he actually was the one that reported it to the police. Right. Um, again, we have to go through this every time something like this happened. Um, is this like people like might say like, well, what does this got to do with Islam? Right. Um, and again, you know, because we're reporting this on Atheist Republic, this was honor killing, and then and this is in Pakistan. So naturally, a lot of our, of our our audience is going to assume that this is because of Islamic teaching, right? Especially because you can see the word honor killing, like you know. But then some people are like, no, this is not Islamic. This is something cultural, because there's nothing in Islam, and this is actually accurate. Okay, here's I'm going to say something that's going to make it seem like this has nothing to do with Islam. And then I'm going to rebuke that, okay? I'm going to say why, why this is actually, you could blame Islam for this, okay? I've done this many times, but we have to do it every time we cover the news, okay? So it's true that there's nothing in the Quran or any Islamic hadith that justifies this. Zero, okay? There's zero. Um, does 
am I saying there's no death? The death penalty is not the punishment for adultery in Islam. No, I'm not saying that. It, it is like you can. There is a, a lot of Islamic hadith that specifically, and also Quran, that would justify. Yeah. No. Um. Is premarital sex considered adultery? Yeah. Okay. Right, but according to the Quran, the punishment for that is, um, you know, flogging, right? But according to Hadith, the punishment for that is stoning, right? And according to Hadith, there was a Quranic verse that would, that allows you that also the punishment for adultery is stoning. However, that cor that Quranic verse was eaten by a goat, according to Aisha, right? So. We still have hadith that says that the stoning is a punishment for adultery, but we don't have a Quranic verse that says the punishment for adultery is stoning. The, the Quran just tells you that you're supposed to flog them. Um, however, hadith is part of Islam, but even if there is that punishment for adultery in Islam, uh, it, you can't just like Islam doesn't allow you to just like willy nilly go ahead and you, you know, for a brother without any court, without any hearing, without any due process. You apparently need like five eyewitnesses, right? Which it wasn't produced here. Again, I'm not trying to defend Islam. I'm just telling you what reality, what Islam teaches, okay? So this is not acceptable in the behavior of this brother is not as according to, it's not acceptable based on Islamic practices. Like this is not allowed what he did, right? However, can we still not blame Islam for this? Of course we can. Of course we can. Of course we can blame Islam for this, even though this is not according to Islamic scripture, right? Because the influence of Islam or religion on culture is not just one to one. Like it's not just like here's the scripture, here's the practice. The practice matches the scripture, and therefore this is like uh, it's not that the influence of scripture is something that you could just take certain behavior and you can find a mirror image of that in scripture and that would be the only influence of religion right the example i give people is that um like child abuse is not encouraged in christianity there's nowhere in the old new testament or the old testament that tells you that priests can abuse that allows the abuse of children by priests right but there's ways that christianity has created a, a an environment where you can see, or Christianity and other religions, that creates environments where child children are more likely to get abused by religious leaders than in other environments. And for example, it could be that the teaching in Christianity that makes all sins forgivable through Jesus Christ might encourage certain behavior that you think that you will be forgiven for because you have access to God for forgiveness. Or it might be that Christianity encourages certain trusts to certain people that don't and certain credibility and certain authority to some people to take care of children because they are seen as a moral man of man of god and in, in other environments when you trust people with children you look for signals and you look for credentials and for other other ways to be able to trust people with children but in a religious circle because these are supposed to be moral men or man of god you give trust to people that don't deserve that trust and that will put children in a more vulnerable position so it's not it's not that Christianity, there's any scripture in Christianity that encourages um, child abuse. So the, you can't see like anywhere in the Bible that allows that. But still Christianity in an indirect way creates environments where that's more possible, for example. S similarly, like honor killing in Islam, what we describe as honor killing is not something that an Islamic text is encouraged or allowed. However, this 
uh, you know, the the, misog the misogyny in Islam, the way that um, pure purity culture, modesty culture, um, shame associated with behavior like this, the uh, the way women are described in Islam, uh, the way that it seems like women are position of men, the way that seem men have authority over women, the way men they, they seem like men are allowed to, you know, Islam has many scriptures and many teachings that shows that men are allowed to do certain things to women that are brutal, that are not, not you know, so creating that environment where men make men feel that they have this authority over women, that this is their position, and mix that with a culture that encourages a modesty culture, purity culture, shame culture, it will create, it will make it more likely to, a, a culture that has honor killing in it is more likely to be created in an environment where religion like this is dominant, right? So even if the relationship is not one-to-one, -one, honor killing is a side effect of Islam, but even if though, even if you can't find it in the scripture, does that make sense? It makes total sense. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I also wanted to talk about something very important when we're covering this news stories because this is just like one instance of hundreds of instances that happen in um, Pakistan, in particular. And we only tend to hear about the ones that happen to women that are more upper in a higher class, basically. So um, one fact is that Pakistan has the highest number of docu documented and estimated honor killings per capita of any country in the world. About one fifth of the world's honor killings are committed in Pakistan which is 1,000 out of 5,000 per year total. For comparison, um, I believe, and people can fact check me on this, that, so if they're, um, and 5,000 is probably um, a low, it's a probably a very conservative estimation. But if 1,000 of the 5,000 comes from Pakistan, I believe another 1,000 out of the 5,000 comes from India. India is substantially larger and again, um, there's all sorts of issues and limitations regarding reporting. Um, but I think that alone gives um, some perspective into how severe the situation of violence against women is in the country. And it's so frustrating to me, like with the story we covered last week with the uh, Manar-a-Pakistan Park um, incident, where um, a woman and her friends were was assaulted by literally hundreds of men, um, is that then there are leaders like Imran Khan who then point to these problems of quote-unquote sexual immorality, as to use like their kind of terminology in society, and blame it on basically being westernized, saying that this is the influence wow. of Western um, society on our children because they have more access to phones, you know, and that's why this is happening more. And that if children would just turn back to the ways of our prophet Muhammad, then we wouldn't have these issues like this, which is, um, oh incredibly <laughs> frustrating. For why are you the leading country? These issues and have some <laughs> insight into where these ideas around the possession of ownership come from. It's a, it's a step backwards. If it's because of westernization, why is Pakistan the leading country 
<laughs> and not the Western countries when it comes to honor kill. Um, I have a question. What? Per <laughs> okay, too much thinking. Too much thinking. I have a question though. What What are the percentage of honor killings that are? What percentage of honor killings happen in Islamic countries slash communities? Um, I don't know. Let me look at the source really quickly. Um, because like I think excluding if you take India out like i think it's either like i would i would assume that like over 90 percent of honor killings is either india or islamic country slash community do you know what i mean so only india is like a so i would say like maybe 20 like around 20 percent of honor killing is india i would i'm just guessing right and then 70 percent of the rest i'm just guessing i have no idea let's see if this is true 70 percent is um, either Islamic country or Islamic community, and then the remaining ten percent would be elsewhere. That's it's what hard guessing. to find proper statistics on these things. Um, so one major place where I find this data is the Honor-Based Violence Awareness Network, um, but their statistics and data don't actually um, elucidate where, how they're finding this data, how they're collecting it, um, how up to date this data is. So they just say that there's 5,000 per year, 1,000 in India, 1,000 in Pakistan, 12 in the UK, which is not very, um, 12, what's detailed. 12, what's in the UK, 1200 Honor killings in the UK per year. 12, oh, 12. Oh, just 12, one, two, 12. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, wait, I shouldn't be laughing at this. No, but like, um, why is all of a sudden, why like they go to 12 in the UK? Like you're like, oh, you know, 1,000 in Pakistan, 1,000. Like, isn't there a huge gap? Like 12? Like what about the mm -hmm. rest of the, you know, we're, we're missing a big 3,000 here. It's weird that they all of a sudden jump to a country that has 12. Yeah, that's something that's really frustrating for me as someone who's uh, a nerd. Um, is the lack of really detailed and quality research onto this subject um, that's comprehensive across the world and not just within specific nations. So I can't um, give you a more detailed answer about the prevalence being more or less in Islamic countries. Okay, I'm just, I will bet that it's like at least 70% Islamic. 20% India and the rest, I don't know, scattered everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. You want to read some com some of these comments while I get the Rick's news? Yeah, blank name is saying, I dispute that. If Pakistan had the same quality of living standard as Sweden, then I would say this probably won't happen, which is not to say that it doesn't have an influence. You know, actually, blank name, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, just the circumstances particularly um, if women are better educated throughout society, you just see less of this stuff. And that's not um, me trying to victim blame women who are less educated. That's not what I mean. It's more of an indicator of the standard of life for women in that society and um, uh, opportunities available to them. Um, am I making sense or am I coming off as uh victim no no you're no you make sense no just okay. okay but i think i think i completely disagree with blank name not because what he's saying is not true but because he misunderstands what we're saying okay nobody said is like 
We're not saying Islam is the only factor. The claim is not that Islam is the only factor. The claim is that Islam is a factor. Obviously, anything social related is multifactorial. So obviously the quality of life economics has an influence. This is like we're talking about socioeconomic issues. Everything has an influence. Okay, it's about how much of an influence. And you know, when you say Islam is a fact, like you guys need to under, like become better understanding of like when when we're talking about policy, socioeconomics. When it, you have to actually learn how complicated and multifactorial these things are. Like when you hear somebody saying this is a factor, like th when this is being said, instead of hearing this is a factor. What you're actually hearing because you're not paying attention is like somebody saying, this is the only factor. That's not the claim, okay? If Islam is a factor and economy is a factor and culture is a factor and policy is a factor and access to education is a factor, all of these is a factor, then if you improve one of these things and it solves the issue somewhat, it, if, you, if for example, let's say for, you see you have honor killing in a society, right? Uh, and you improve education and you improve economics and you see that honor killing gets reduced, okay? So if you see that and you actually prove that those things were a factor, that doesn't deny that those other things were also a factor. That doesn't deny Islam was a factor, okay? That just shows that these other things were also factors. Like, obviously, like, obviously, like, do I even need to say this? Like, is this, like, so hard to understand? Like, no, for, exa for example, for example, let me just make it. Let me make this very easy. Okay. Let's say economics is a factor. That means if economic situations improve, honor killings will go down. Okay. And also, let's say Islam is a factor. That means that if Islam becomes a less of an influence, even if you keep education and economic factors the same, if the influence of Islam goes down, honor killing will go down. So if you keep like, if this is, the, I'm not saying these are true or not. I'm just saying if this is the claim, this is what you would expect to see. Like. You keep the other things the same. You reduce one of them, it will improve. You reduce Islam, other, you know, the situation will improve. Increase education, increase economics, things will improve. These are really simple concepts, guys. Multifactorial. Think, remember, multifactorial. But go on. <laughs> Blank name is saying, I misunderstood. Sorry. <laughs> guys, if you misunderstand and then Armin is going in on you, it's mainly because he's using that as an opportunity to make a point in general, not going after you personally. But I also right. want to add that while I said that if I, I think that if the material conditions for both men and women improved in Pakistan, we'd probably see less of this. Um, I would reckon that we would still see more of it than we would in equivalent countries that have a similar quality of life and GDP. Because when you see cultures based around honor specifically that involves an um, entitlement or possession of women within one's own family, you see these instances, as is the case in India, which isn't necessarily Islamic. We see this a lot in Hindu communities there. Um, right. uh, Zakuro is saying, but let's oh, not sorry. lose heart. Uh, Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, is becoming increasingly popular in Pakistani universities. Students and lecturers are like are being influenced. Yes, there mm -hmm. is a great desire for um, new thought and free thinking in Pakistan. That's for sure. I know because so, I talked to so many of them. 
Is this actually true? Because I want to know which know. which podcast on university has the balls. Like I know, like as a lecturer. I, it, yes, well, like because I know, like these books are becoming very popular, and people are just downloading them left and right from the internet and reading them. But do we actually have Pakistani universities where the the professor is officially is like, let's read the God delusion? And if yes, does that like how much of how much balls do you need to have in Pakistan to be able to like maybe like are they like, like saying like hey come let's and critique this evil? <laughs> maybe I have to <laughs> I don't know. Like, no, that I, that's how to... often it it's posited. Like we're right. going to deconstruct the falsehoods <laughs> of these dirty atheists. And then meanwhile, there's people in wink, class wink. who are like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> No, but somebody can somebody confirm that if this is actually true, that they're like somebody's officially announcing, like ha has the balls enough to come and say it's like, oh yeah, guys, yeah, let's study the God delusion. Like, is that actually happening? Um oh yeah, actually, guys, here. Uh Harris Sultan has talked about this on his YouTube channel. Not obviously official. Oh, not obviously official, but it's something neither Imran Khan nor Pakistan. Okay, so not official. Okay, so it's not official because that would be extremely um ballsy i don't know or maybe not very smart um all right so can we clap for the next news um it's not great oh next news then okay next news christian school for forces coach to quit for refusing to denounce being gay on august 19th Inoke Tonga, a volleyball coach in Valor Christian High School, was invited to meet in a quote-unquote spiritual connection session with one of his supervisors, or some of his supervisors. He was repeatedly asked to confirm if there were any quote-unquote changes to his lifestyle that the school's superiors should know about. It became apparent that the school authority had an issue with Tonga being gay and supportive of the, of the LGBTQ community. He was ultimately left with two choices. He could denounce being gay and delete his social media posts uh, regarding his identity and support for the LGBT community, or he can continue living as a gay man, true to himself, but he would essentially be forced out of his job. Tonga's Instagram post gathered support from parents, students, and alumni. Students organized a walkout in support of Tonga and expressed their dismay with the school's decision. An official statement from the school claims that Tonga, quote, misrepresented many aspects of this matter, but did not specify exactly what was misrepresented. Where is this? This is in America, baby. How is this possible? How is this still possible? Okay, what do you, okay, let's try to be, let's try to be skeptical. We don't know they didn't mention what was misrepresented at all. No. Do we, do we have any evidence that this is what 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 the school said? Like what they're claiming the school has done is actually true, or are we just going based on he said, she said? Um, as of the writing, when I was researching this, like there wasn't um, a firm statement. Um, hmm. from the school. And this has happened before, actually. There was another former coach, her name was Lauren, that was forced to leave back in 2019 for being gay. And when she heard about Tonga's experience 
and what he went through when it was kind of making the news, that's when she reached out to him and started speaking out about her experience of basically going through the same thing. Um, do we have it any happened in, oh. in it happened in um, around the Denver area in Colorado, by the way. So it's America. Do we have do we have it? Yeah. Do we have anywhere like that actually shows that anybody mentioned change in lifestyle? Like this is an allegation that they said that you that they asked him to. So it's right now it's at the point of allegation that they asked me to re remove these posts. Or do we actually have anything to show that they asked him this? Um, this is just his um, account mm. of what happened. Okay, okay. So, so let's just be skeptical. We don't know if one like we're just reporting what has been said here. We don't know because I don't want to like be like oh like I was I'm, I'm I wanted to like let go and be just like go on full on outrage mode, right? But then if all of a sudden come the news comes out that oh this was like misreported, <laughs> right? And this is not actually what happened. Then I'm gonna look very silly, <laughs> right? Just, mm -hmm. just, just in case, just in case that somebody is not reporting things. But if okay, but if this is true, if it's actually being reported accurately, and if the allegations are true, then holy crap! Like, how could you think that you could get like, like honestly, like the reason why I need to be the reason why I want to be skeptical is because it is possible that. Some people are just addicted to getting a lot of attention, and then they will might misrepresent the story. Again, I don't, I'm not saying I'm not accusing this person of that. Like maybe his story is completely true, right? But we just have to be skeptical because there are some people out there who want to be the victim, and then they will be like, "This they said this to me, and there's no way to prove that they said this to him, and there's no way to disprove it either." So, given that we are pro LGBT. Um, it would just be easy to just assume that this is true and then just go full on, you know, going to like just try to be the heroes that are defending, you know, but just like, I'm just trying to be skeptical. Okay. But if this I, is true, yeah, go on. Yeah. I appreciate that. I mean, I was poking around the school's website right now and it looks like a really nice school, but, um, they have no form of press release that I can see on their website. I was looking in, um, local newspapers, um, all of the updates from the local newspapers are just regarding, you know, the second teacher coming forward saying this also happened to me and the response from the school community, basically, mm. um, supporting this teacher. So, um, I appreciate your skepticism, but thus far, and um, yeah. and local newspapers reached out to the school, and I believe they declined to comment. Oh, so, um, it all points towards um, this man's account um, so far being uncontested. Um, but there were so many aspects of this that disturbed me. So, first of all, um, the fact that when um, they it was the campus pastor and the athletic director that pulled him into what they call the spiritual connection, like for this meeting. So to frame it as like, this is our way of calling you in spiritually because we care about you is just like so abusive, first mm. of all. And so on his Instagram page, he has um, a post where he details um, his experience and um, he, they asked him if there are changes in lifestyle that 
they uh, if that they should know about. And he was like, I don't uh, know what you're talking about. And they started repeatedly asking him this question. And he was like, no, I'm doing well. <laughs> and, verbally? This was verbally? Verbal communication? Yes. Okay, okay. In person. And um, then finally they asked if they had posted something inappropriate on his social medias. And he's like, I don't post anything that would go against Valor's culture and beliefs. And he's like, I don't post anything that's be inappropriate. Like I teach high school children, you know, like teachers have to be very conscious of this kind of thing. And right. then they're like, um, if, if did you talk about being gay? And he's like, yeah, I did. And then he said, of course I advocate for LGBT brothers and sisters, especially those who are struggling to find a relationship with God. Cause this man is a very firm and believing Christian actually. Um, the culture document of Valor Christian that was given to me during the interview process, meaning when he joined the school, didn't mention anything about their stance on the LGBT community. I will add that the pastor purposefully and ignorantly um, would say LGBTQ incorrectly. He would say LGBTBG or whatever at one point. The this, gates were is open. Is this on record? Is this on record? Like, this or is, is this his account of what this conversation was in person. Oh. Uh. Okay. Um, I sat in the room being grilled about how being gay is a danger to the school and to the kid. That me, quote, identifying as a gay man, they can't put the kids at risk by having me in front of them, end quote. I wished I would have advocated for myself and stood my ground instead of falling victim to feeling bad about myself and hating myself all over again due to the conversations and the words that they were spitting at me. And then he talks about how God sent angels down to him to hold his dignity and not cry and um, to, like, you know, stand tall um, in front of this really um, abusive tactic in my eyes. Um, they, and then he continues, they went even so far as telling me, quote, parents pay too much money to have their kids be coached and taught by someone like you who identifies as a gay man. Also, quote, in fact, hearing how much love you have for these kids, I don't even think you are gay. You just need some direction to reach the goal of becoming a child of God, end quote. As if being gay disqualifies me from being a child of God. Many things were stated and shared during this quote-unquote spiritual connection. In closing, they asked me where we go from here. They proceeded by telling me that they aren't trying to, quote, convert me into being a straight man, and that ultimately I had two choices. One choice was to, quote, denounce being gay. I want you to cut off that part of who you think you are. Go home and delete any posts on social media that speak about being gay. We want you to realize you aren't gay. You need to become a child of God, end quote. No more goals of getting married to the love of my life, who is a man. By doing this, they'd allowed me to continue my journey as a coach at Valor Christian. The other option was, of course, to do the opposite, to be true to who God made me to be, a gay child of the Almighty. One of them even said, quote, I don't want to seem like I'm hanging a coaching position over your head to convert you, but we just can't have you in front of the kids if you identify that way. Another was followed by saying, quote, we will make an email for you to send out and make sure that it states you are away for personal matters. So that way, when you make your decision to accept God and our help, you can come back and they don't have to know of your spiritual battle. This is ultimately to protect you and our kids. We don't want this to affect your other places of work. 
And I sat in that room for an hour and a half being belittled by men who knew nothing about who I am, what I've done in life, what obstacles I've overcome and the understanding I have of the living scripture and more important, the love I have for my savior and Lord God. With my head held high and with tears ready to be shed for hours, even days, I walked away knowing that my journey as a coach at Valor Christian had come to an end. I was not going to quote, denounce identifying as a gay man. According to them, this would lead to me being released as a coach. Um, And it continues, but I thought that was a really interesting account of what happened. And um, it's kind of on a more personal note for me, um, as someone who is bisexual and was raised as a Christian, um, it brought up a lot of feelings for me just of how abusive these tactics are. And the way that they use language and they try to otherize and um, just totally distance and belittle this man with so many different ways of the way they're talking about him and his relationship to God and stuff. Um, It's really painful. And um, for me personally, it very much confuses me over how someone can continue to be a Christian while faced with this kind of attitudes and these beliefs about the scripture and stuff, but everyone has their own journey and um, their own relationship. Um, But to me, that's in my life, that's a contention that can never be resolved. And it's interesting that other people can still kind of bridge that gap, I guess. Yeah. So all of this is disgusting. If, if true, absolutely horrible. Like this is like, what a pile of crap. Like, what a, like, this is the most disgusting thing you could say to somebody that is gay. Well, not actually, not the, the most, but still very bad. Um, but again, I just want to say, I, I keep saying if true, and I feel like some people in the live chat are not appreciating me saying if, if true. Like, let me, like, read this one. Uh, Marcia is saying, Armin, do you not believe this ridiculous religiosity occurs every day in some form. Of course I do. Like I didn't deny it. First of all, I, I hope people understand when I'm being, if I'm saying if true, that is not at all saying that this story didn't happen. Okay. I'm just putting the possibility out there just that it didn't, but I'm not saying it. I'm not claiming that it didn't. I'm just including that as a possible thing. That's all I'm doing. Okay. I'm not claiming that this is not a real thing, not a real story. Just, you know, just being a bit skeptical. Also, even even if this story is not real, I'm definitely not claiming that this doesn't happen. In fact, I'm almost sure that it happens all the time. Even if this is not true, even if this is not true, it still happens. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Like, I don't understand if you if I'm being skeptical here. Does that mean that I'm denying that this is a this is like a people being discriminated for religious for their homosexuality based on religious reasons? If I'm like saying that it's a possibility that the story is not real, do you think I'm denying that it happens everywhere else? Of course I'm not. It, it's it's yeah. I mean it's United States. Of course it does, right? It happens many other places as well, right? Um, and another thing is, so you want to say something? Before I yeah, I was I was just poking around 
um, Instagram and I saw a really lovely post and I wish I could show it, but it definitely includes um, people who are high school students and minors. So we can't show that on YouTube, but it's like wonderful photos of these protests that they all organized in support of him and him like hugging the kids and them talking about like how they're signing petitions and organizing to like rally around him. And if you guys are curious about this, I actually found an open letter that, um, students and alumni have written um, to the school called Valor for Change, if you guys want to learn um, more about um, the situation. According to um, this open letter, they talk about repeated and failed attempts to actually gain a meeting or even a phone conversation with um, school supervisors. So um, that lends credence to me saying that the school hasn't really made comment or um, been more specific about um, what their account of what happened was. All right. Can you read this one? Uh, Atheist um, Republic, Yuval is saying, I feel for this man, but didn't he realize that opposing gays is part of Christian doctrine? These news are regrettably not at all surprising. Well, he says that in his intake um, interview and in, um, in his account, based on the contracts of the school, he was not aware of their position on the LGBT community or anything of that sort. So no, his, his interpretation of Christian doctrine is that these aren't, um, mutually exclusive, you know, so maybe he wasn't going to make that assumption that other people felt differently. And, um, I don't know um, the kind of denomination for this school, but I know in a lot of Catholic schools, they have morality clauses that are very specific about this kind of thing. And I'm not sure to what extent um, the contract that he signed with the school actually had an explicit morality clause. But um, based on his telling, there was nothing specific, but I can't verify that. All right. So do you want to highlight anything else before we go to the next news? Um, no. Okay. There's something I want to highlight, but I, uh, to, to crap on, but I don't know if you're comfortable with it. So I'm not going to. What? There's one comment that I want to highlight and I want to like attack, but I don't know if you're comfortable with it. So I'm not going to do it. Do it. Really? Okay. Yeah. You're sure? Okay, okay. I, um, yeah. I, okay, so Zakuru, I'm going to crap on this comment, okay? saying You're saying, Susanna, since you're bisexual, who's your dream girl? What should her personality be like if she doesn't exist yet? Okay, so I don't know if Susanna is okay with this question or not. She might be okay. But I just want to tell you guys, don't, if, don't ask about people's sexual lives as soon as you find out that they're gay or bisexual because... I just think you're reducing, like, you're not, it's not an invitation. Like, if somebody tells you that they're bisexual or gay, that is not an invitation for you to make their sexual life a topic, okay? Maybe they're comfortable with it, maybe they're not. But it's just, like, that's one reason why I think a lot of people don't, I want more people to be open about the fact that they're bisexual or gay, because if they are more open about it, it normalizes bisexuality or and you know and gayness and all that other stuff but if if they think like this is like as soon as i do that all of a sudden people are going to ask me questions about my sexual life i mean a lot of people are not comfortable pe opening themselves to 
people talking to them about their sexual life, questioning them about their sexual life. And this might discourage a lot of other people to tell you that they're bisexual or gay because that it just seems like a green light now. Every, all of a sudden, my sex life it becomes like a green, like they think it's an open invitation for that to become a topic, right? So, you know, you might find examples of people being okay with it, but that's you can't just assume that. So that's my opinion. Maybe, I, what do you think? I know I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I'm actually like very open about these kinds of things. Um, I, although I do explicitly label myself as bisexual because I don't want to explain what pansexual is like <laughs> all the time. <laughs> um, uh, cause that gets so tedious. Um, but on a different day when it's not off topic, like I can talk about this kind of thing. And Armin, remind me to um, tell you something after the show in regards to this that happened last night that's actually pretty hilarious. All right. Um, sorry, Zachary, I didn't mean to like push you under the bus for this. I just, it's something I just want to also like, it's also, so Zachary saying couldn't resist that itch. I threw the issue of privacy under the bus. I apologize. Uh, no, that's completely okay. I just like, I accept your just... apology. Yeah. That, no, and also, no big deal. Another thing I want people to uh, remember is that not every trans person is a trans right activist, okay? Some people are just trans and that doesn't mean that if they tell you that they're trans, all of a sudden that's a green light for you to talk about trans right issues or trans issues or science or gender and sexuality. Like if somebody tells you that they're trans, that is not an invitation for you to start questioning them. You might ask for like, you might ask like, hey, is it okay if I, like, is that okay? Especially if somebody is a trans and also a trans right activist, that means that's the, that's what they do. So maybe that's a green light for you to ask them because that's literally what they do. But not every trans person is like announcing, knowing that they're trans is an open invitation for you to ask you, you asking them about their genitals, about their surgery, about science, about gender issues, about rights issues. They're, you know, they, they, they a trans person, for example, is much more than just a trans person. So, so just keep that in mind, right? Um, anyways. <laughs> Secular rare to saying, come on, Armin, we all know you're going <laughs> to yell at us all at some point. <laughs> oh, I apologize for that. <laughs> all right. Um, can, we, um, can we clap for the next news? No. No. Okay. Next news. Next news, Arizona family tried to kidnap pregnant woman over non-Muslim boyfriend. Authorities arrested six family members in Peoria, a suburb, of Phoenix, a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona, for allegedly trying to kidnap a 20-year-old female relative because she has a non-Muslim boyfriend and is approximately five months pregnant. In Maricopa County Superior Court, detectives filed a probable cause statement stating they believe that the six arrested family members planned to send the woman back to Iraq. Once in Iraq, it is possible that both her life and the unborn's child life could become victims of an honor killing. The family attempted multiple times to kidnap the pregnant girl. In March 2021, the police said the victim, her boyfriend, and his family fled to Yuma, Arizona to escape her family's harassment and violence. But her family still found them at the hotel they were staying at and attempted to kidnap her again. Um, okay, so let, me, so let me get this straight. This, this was a woman who got 
pregnant with the non-Muslim boyfriend, right? And Correct. and the family was upset, so they were trying to kidnap her, send her back to Iraq to potentially do an honor killing on her and her baby. That it's possible. Mm. She she had good reason to believe that they were going to send to kidnap her back to Iraq. Okay. Well, I'm glad that that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Thank you to the police in Arizona and whoever was responsible for managing to stop this before it happened. Mm -hmm. This is why we need to fund the police, by the way. This is what <laughs> this is oh. what they're there for. <laughs> this is what they're True, there though. for. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, I'm. I guess like I'm. I we should have clapped for this. This they. They managed to stop this. Like, here, I'll clap now. Thank you, police, because we do. <laughs> no, like, thank you. That thanks to the people. Like, maybe we should put a positive spin on this. Like, I'm glad that this was stopped. Like, how did they stop it? Like, did they like? Um, how did they find out before they happened? Um, like, do you know the? Oh my gosh! Well, I mean, this saga has been going on for some time. Uh... This woman, her boyfriend, and his family have filed over 20 police reports in various precincts of Arizona. The reports document, ac document accusations of harassment, disorderly conduct, aggravated robbery, kidnapping, and aggravated assault. Um, and the woman and her boyfriend are unidentified. Um, Is that her? She she was previously successfully kidnapped in Yuma of uh, in a Yuma Arizona police report. The victim's uh, brother was arrested last March for successfully kidnapping her. He had planned to take her back to her family, likely for an honor killing. However, the family's kidnapping efforts did not end there. The woman was allegedly forced into a parked car on uh, August 18th in um, Avondale. That is where the family reported the, the family reportedly started punching her in the abdomen. There are two witnesses in the parking lot who helped the victim escape, police said. Peoria revealed um, the six the family members who were arrested on August 27th. Court documents uh, contain details from detectives regarding the accusations of recent assaults and threats at medical buildings in Avondale. They described how the relatives confiscated the woman's metal, uh, her purse, cell phone, as well as her boyfriend's gun during a violent assault. The woman grabbed one of the officers and pleaded with him saying, please don't let them take me. Additionally, the victim's brother allegedly left a threatening voicemail in May promising to kidnap her boyfriend's teenage sister unless the woman returned to her family. So he's saying, I'm, he left a voicemail saying, I'm going to kidnap your 15 year old sister if you don't give us back, like our daughter, if well, it was his sister, like the family's daughter. Saying, and, and then he literally said, like, your American laws aren't going to stop me or they, they don't make me afraid. How were they not already in jail after that? Like, how did they manage to get a second attempt at this? That's what's so crazy, because they filed over 20 police reports in different precincts. They had to flee okay. cities because of how concerted their attempts were against them. I'm going to retract my thank you notes to the police, <laughs> because, because this is like seems like a failure rather than a success now. Originally, it seemed like an amazing success by, from the police, but now I'm wondering... How is it possible that all these reports and the first attempt at this didn't put these people in jail? Like, I don't understand. How does that work? Like, can you 
can is there, is there any explanation on this? Um, not, not as of yet. I mean, it got to the point where they finally did a, a probable, probable cause statement where they're saying we have enough evidence accumulated where we can just say that it's probable that this is going to happen. Even if we, if we don't have explicit, you know, evidence of a, um, intentional conspiracy of contemporary experience yet. Um, so yeah, they, they, they made, fled to a different saying, city and then her family were, found them again. Their family found them again because they had planted tracking devices on her phone. Oh my god, amazing! Well, here's the question: Was the punching her in the tummy so that she, her baby gets aborted? That was mm -hmm. the first attempt. That happened that was during like the successful kidnapping, I believe. Of the first, okay. And in what world? In what? Like, how is it possible that in the United States, punching somebody in the tummy? To get to make their baby, no, not baby, the fetus die. And how is it like? I I still don't understand. There's something missing here. How does that not land you in jail? Like, how is that? Oh, maybe they didn't have any proof that this happened. Maybe is that why? I don't have um enough yeah, of know. the details of what preceded this eventual arrest. Maybe because they didn't have any, maybe because these happened without any recording or like, like the police didn't have enough evidence to, 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 to conduct an arrest. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. Yeah. I'm What's really saying, sad yeah. is that this woman is only 20 years old. Like I can't even imagine. Is that her? Is that her? Is that her picture? No. So that's actually what I'm getting to. Um, oh. She expressed her fears of dying from an honor killing. And when speaking on this, she referenced the killing of Noor um, al-Maleki. So here in the screen, you see a picture of Noor. And actually, Noor is also from Peoria, Arizona, and also the daughter of Iraqi immigrants. Um, Noor was also 20 years old when her father hit and killed her in a parking lot with his car. Uh, Al-Maleki's Al father is an immigrant from Iraq. He was convicted of murder after the prosecution determined he killed his daughter because he perceived she was becoming too westernized. So also, and it's not even like this is just another killing somewhere else. This is literally in the same city, um, same background. Um, and I wanted to talk about this story because it's really important that people understand that um, honor killings are not reserved. I mean, if you live in North America, like this isn't, or Europe, the free world, the westernized world, have you want to put it. Like this isn't, this isn't something that only happens on another side of the planet. You know, this happens in our country, in our communities, all over the world. And it's important for us to raise awareness of these issues because when oftentimes I talk about these kind of issues, people try to actually paint me as some kind of bigot for talking about what happens to women in different communities across the world purely because I am not from these communities, right? And they're in um when really this actually does happen in in my community, in my country right? Just oftentimes it's behind closed doors and people don't have awareness of it. Um, so when you're speaking about these things, not only are you standing up for women who we should stand up for, whether they're on our side of the world or another side of the world, you're also standing up for women or children um, in, in your own country, in your own community. 
Yeah, I mean, imagine if these people felt like if we kidnap her and take her back to Iraq, then we would be able to do what we want. Then what does that tell you about the woman in Iraq, right? But I have a question. How are they going to kidnap her and take her to Iraq? Wouldn't that involve getting in her plane? Like, were they expecting her to just be quiet the entire time? Like, wouldn't she be able to, like, keep, like, yelling in the airport and on the plane, asking for security, asking for police? Like, I, I feel like this plan wasn't very... Um, I, I understand know. what you're saying, but that kind of stuff does happen just because of the right. fear, the consistent trauma and fear and abuse that these victims are under. Like, these things can still happen completely copacetic, like, under the radar, because victims have to remain quiet or hidden just for their own immediate safety. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I understand yeah. your question. Like, I think the same thing, but it's much more complex than just simply, oh, make noise at the airport when you have um, a, a consistent history of being abused and threatened. Okay. You know what I mean? I yeah. I mean, I just think like when you're in the airport, then – if you raise the hell, it's not like they can do anything in the airport. Like that's literally the most. But imagine place. what could have happened to her preceding getting there. Yeah, but right? you, you would not get there if you managed to raise hell in the airport. I I don't know. I'm I'm just thinking about this. Maybe like you're right. I mean you're right. But uh, here's another question: When the, the title says um, they kidnap pregnant woman over non-Muslim boyfriend, um, do we know if their issue was that the boyfriend was? West, just westernized or non-Muslim? Like, do we have any indication that if the boy, if the boyfriend was like Western, based on but Muslim, local Muslim reports, right. like the news coverage from that local area, they specifically say non-Muslim. Mm, okay, okay. So there, so according to the news, the the issue was the fact that he was not a Muslim. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, I have some other thoughts, but might not be appropriate to say because I don't know. Um, okay, interesting, interesting. Um, well, I'm glad it didn't work out. Again, there's a lot of missing information here, so there's a lot of judgments we could make that might not be accurate because we don't know exactly the things that happen. Right? So, um, yeah, go on. What do you think of my note or criticism of how oftentimes, like? Maybe it's just it's something that I experienced because, like, I'm a white person who's never been a Muslim. Like, um, criticism for trying to talk about these issues um, as if it doesn't happen where I actually am. Have you? Do you know what I'm kind of talking about? That kind of attitude. Right, 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 right. So, um, you're talking about the woke scold people that think like you should shut up because you're a white woman. Do you talk about that? Obviously, obviously, they're, uh, obviously they're more or less. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're bigots for two reasons. First, one, because they're taking, telling you what you're allowed to say because of your, the color of your skin. And second of all is because they are their dismissal of human rights issues for about people who don't live in their country. They seem to be deeming them less <laughs> worthy of care just because they happen to live somewhere else, which is that's bigoted as well. So just... You know, just shows that bigotry exists on the right and the left. More so on the right, but we shouldn't ignore the fact that it also 
we shouldn't ignore that that the fact that it also exists a lot on the left okay so yeah it's just uh, just outright bigotry for for two reasons does that make sense how two different two different reasons one because they're telling you to shut up because you're white that's bigotry but it also because they so don't seem to care about Iraqi women because they happen to be Iraqi and not Americans, right? So that's also bigotry. Does that make, yeah, I mean, this sense? is why criticism of Islam is important even within our own countries that are not Muslim majority, right? Because it's actually an effort to protect young Muslim women, you know? Like, I have no idea if this woman is still a Muslim, but for all intents and purposes, she is. But it's definitely within our interest everyone's interest to criticize the attitudes impossible doctrine um right. that leads to this kind of violence i was gonna make a misogyny joke but you told me to stop that so i'm not gonna make that i was gonna make I, because I, you, this you, new, you told me i can't stand you you. <laughs> you told me that people will think i'm being serious so i'm gonna stop doing that but there's i'm just letting you know there was a very good joke here that i'm gonna tell you after the stream <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm not making the joke. So there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So can we? Um, wait. Actually, let me write the joke. So I don't forget. Hold on. It looks like yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. I'm gonna tell you after this. All right. Uh, can that? Can we clap for the next news? Um. To be honest, the next news. I don't think and let's clap because we can decide how we feel about this we could clap with that enthusiasm yes, 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 that? yes. next news next news court rules christian wait teachers... that was that was enthusiasm i don't news. i'm doing it this is how <laughs> i deliver the news <laughs> sir <Nope. laughs> all right next. next news Court rules Christian teacher suspended over pro-trans policy should be reinstated. On June 8th, a Virginia Circuit Court judge ruled that Tanner Cross should be reinstated as a teacher after he was suspended. Judge James Plowman of the Loudoun County Circuit ruled that Tanner Cross was exercising his freedom of speech when he declared during a school board meeting on May 25th that he would not use the pronouns of transgender students. Cross explained that he will not, quote, affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa because it's against my religion. Less than three months after the appeal, the Supreme Court of Virginia ruled in favor of Judge Plowman's decision. The state Supreme Court has ordered in, a, in support of Cross his reinstitution as a PE teacher, a physical education teacher. School boards across Virginia have been updating or installing policies that promote and establish ways to help transgender students. Most of these school boards' decisions were met with severe pushback, especially due to it being in the Bible Belt. Um, so this was interesting for a number of reasons. If you guys remember, maybe it was last week, maybe the week before, we covered a story of this Christian teacher who quit the school, um, her job, at, at, during a school board meeting that was specifically about this pro-trans um, policy um, and whether it should be adopted. And she quit it because she basically inferred that this was against her beliefs. Um, so this is the exact same county. And um, I think that we're going to be hearing a lot about what's going on in this county. Um, but I actually think he had a good case here. 
Um, so a lot, while I disagree with him and his position, and this is partially because um, I'm going to have to find the exact quote in a second, but basically um, the court found that um, it was um, unconstitutional because it, quote, silenced others from speaking publicly on the issue of transgender rights. Um, uh, they, when the school, the count, the, the school system tried to appeal the decision, the justices said that the circuit court, um, they failed to prove that the circuit court abused its discretion saying you're like not providing, um, a good enough of a case. And they didn't do a good job proving that, um, his behavior and conduct was actually worthy of suspension based on their own standards. Um, so, um, on, in Monday's court order, the justices wrote that they found one of Luton school's district's main stated reasons for suspending cross, which was that the teacher's comments about trans rights were disrupting typical school operations unconvincing. The justices wrote that Luton County school system never produced any real evidence that Cross's continuation as a physical education teacher would quote harm children, nor was there su sufficient parent outrage to justify his suspension, they concluded. Um, so they were saying based on your own standards of him, um, like you basically suspended him because you said that he was disruptive to the school environment, but they said that that's not going to stand because you can't, they said that they didn't provide enough evidence that that was actually the case. Okay. I don't understand how you could argue that. Okay. So the teacher doesn't want to affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa. So basically he's like an anti-trans person, right? Like he, yes. he doesn't, he doesn't understand the overwhelming science that we have around this issue and he's like a anti-trans bigot right or either he's ignorant or a bigot or or religious which makes both which means both um but like but i don't understand the court's argument that not allowing this teacher to be a teacher in the school like maybe you could correct me why would that mean that he's being silenced because nobody's stopping him from saying whatever he wants. Like if you don't, if you don't get to have this job, that means that you don't get to say it while having this job in the school, you could still go out and now say it as much as you said, like nobody's stopping you from saying these things. You could still go and say it outside of the school. Like you could still say like, how is that silencing? I don't understand. Well, because it is, it, it is a public school system. So mm -hmm. that needs to be acknowledged. It's a, it's a function of the state. And he made these comments at a school board meeting, right? So it wasn't during work hours. It wasn't while he was attending to children. Um, okay. I don't even know how particularly disruptive or like belligerent his, um, what he had to say at the school meeting was. It was um, just on the basis of his opinion that they suspend, they put him on leave. And so he uh, sued the school for infringement of his um, protected First Amendment rights. 
Um, what about the First Amendment uh, rights of the school to be able to have the policy, to be able to have their policies and hire what they deem to be appropriate, you know, teaching attitude or reminds, right mindset? Is that not the, the, I don't know how you're, I mean, I'm not American, you're American. Is that not, is that not part of the First Amendment? Is that uh, not protected? I don't believe so in the way that you've construed it okay all right i don't know i'm not a lawyer um <laughs> i think um their point was just like they um why is he being fired for his comments in a public meeting you know it wasn't actually in his capacity as a teacher Although mm -hmm. he was a teacher speaking about how he felt about the policy. So I can see the contention there. Um, and so the lawsuit is actually going to proceed through the court system, but he's going to actually be able to continue work while it is ongoing. And um, the uh, lawyers that are assisting him have actually turned this into a, um, class action lawsuit, I believe. So there are other Christian teachers who are joining him in um, their suit against the uh, county school system over um, so, them abusing or their religious freedom privileges being abused because of this policy. And so that's something I like, don't like, I, I, I'm not, I don't have as much of a in-depth legal knowledge to know to what extent um, it's reasonable for, um, the school to fire some or put someone on leave um, mm -hmm. for their comments that they make at a public meeting outside of school hours. Like I, to me, that feels kind of dicey. Um, I understand why the school might have an interest in doing so because he's voicing opposition to a policy that they ended up eventually approving. Mm -hmm. So they're maybe saying like, oh, you're going, you're expressing that you're going to violate our policies, but a stronger case would be that you actually did violate our policies. You know, you actually, in your capacity as a teacher, actually did violate policies. You actually did violate the procedures. Well, you school. don't have that case because he didn't do that as a capacity as a teacher, did he? No, he was at a public school, a school board meeting talking about his concerns as being a teacher but he wasn't being a teacher at that moment. He was doing this in relation to his students and the policy, I believe, wasn't even approved and in place at that point. Okay. So does that mean that the court would be a-okay with letting this guy go if he said any of these things as his capacity as a teacher? Do you know what I mean? Like then if he actually said the same things, but he was saying that like in a class or as a teacher, then the court is like, Okay, you can fire him. That's fine. I don't you know have I mean? nearly enough legal understanding uh. to be able to tell you one way or the other. In fact, what I just expressed could yeah. be um, an incorrect interpretation right. of how I understood the reporting on so, this. So here's another question. If the court, like I'm not saying, and if I'm asking these questions, I'm not just saying that you should have like a good answer, like because we none of us are lawyers here, right? So I'm not. I'm just putting it there as a question to wonder about, not as a question for us to have a definite answer to. Okay, um, I'm just wondering. And here's the thing I want us to consider: Does that mean, okay, if you can't fire a teacher because of 
what the views that he's expressing outside of the school and not as his role as a teacher. Does that mean if this is this teacher outside of the school was attending KKK rallies, right? Or if he was doing the 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 you know what salute, right? <laughs> outside of outside like if you have like pictures on social media of him like doing the adult salute and he was like I didn't do this in school I didn't do this as my capacity as a teacher in, in my capacity as a teacher then the school was like this is very disturbing look at these the, look at this teacher like attending like putting the triple k costume and doing the adult salute and we don't want this person as a teacher if this teacher came and said well I didn't do this in school I didn't do this as a teacher um this was completely outside of the school and you can't fire me for this then would this court also come and say like yep you can't fire him for this i have no idea i don't know yeah because that would be a like a question yeah and if you can't fire him for that then why can't you fire him for this you know what I mean? well i think a key difference would be if the hypothetical situation that you're posited did occur um part of what the court considered in their decision was um the um feedback from the parents of this community so quote a tiny minority of parents requested that cross did, did not do would not interact with their children the justices wrote however the defendants luton county public schools identify no case in which such a nominal or nominal actual or expected disturbance justified restricting speech as constitutionally valued as cross. So they're kind of saying like there wasn't sufficient parent outrage to justify his suspension. So in the case that you <laughs> conceived, I would think that there probably hopefully would be what would meet their standard of sufficient parent outrage. Um, but that's kind of a weird metric to decide yeah. this on, in my opinion, because this is, is such a hot button issue in this county that the parents are, I mean, it's it's so contentious. They were doing metal, metal detectors outside of in like patting down everyone who went into the school board meeting because they had to like arrest two people who got so riled up and rowdy just talking about this issue. Um, and part of this has to do with like a moral panic over critical theory as well um because that's kind of been conglomerated into a giant thing um yeah so it's obviously um a lot of parents in this county feel very strongly in opposition to the ostensibly pro-trans policy so is it like am i being like is it is it is it authoritarian of me to think like schools should be able to fire teachers if they're found to be bigots like is that like is that is that anti-free speech? Like, is that restricting people's free speech? Like, if I don't want you, if I, if we don't want to work with you because you seem to have some bigoted views, so we don't want you in the school, your free speech is not being violated. You can still go and say those, your spread your garbage. You can still do that. Nobody's violating your free speech. We just don't want you here. Like, are we forced to work with you, even though we like, like I don't understand. like. Is this like I don't know? I have to think about this. I just don't think like this is like if violations of someone's free speech. Like you happen to be a bigot. We have trans students here. We don't think they will feel comfortable. Like our role is to make this an environment that they feel like they're welcome in. And you, at this, at you being a bigot, having this job doesn't 
go make like our mission to make this seem like a welcoming environment to more people, it goes against that. So that's why we don't want you here. I think a school has every right to decide that. I think you're violating the rights of the school to do to make these decisions for providing the service that they're there to provide for more and more people. You know, me, I'm I'm open to change my opinion on that, but I think like I think the school should have that right. It would it will it becomes if it, this was a private institution, this wouldn't be nearly as much of a problem. But this is a public institution. Um, I think if they would a, have a much it, stronger case, even in the position that you're making up is if that was actually affecting that person's capacity or behavior within the classroom. Okay. Even if it's a public school, they're still are supposed to be providing service. I mean, the fact that it's a public school, that means they're supposed to be there to provide an environment for all kinds of students, right? Like for example, if my, if I was black and my teacher was a member of KKK, right? Even if he never announced that and mentioned that in school as a school teacher, this is not a welcoming environment for me if these are the teachers. Do you know what I mean? Like, like if, if that is public knowledge and I know this person has these views, if he's clever enough to make sure he never mentions that or as a case that in school, I still don't think that this school is for me if these are the kind of teachers that are teaching there. Like, you know, and I want as a school, I want to make sure that this is an environment where people don't feel intimidated to come like that is tolerant of the students. Like, a, a, you know, I, I'm thinking I'm more worried about like making sure that more students feel welcomed in the in these schools rather than this teacher being able to maintain that specific job while being a bigot. That's that's just I mean, based on the limited information that I have, which could be completely inaccurate, and I'm happy to change my position of this, but that's my inclination to worry more about students, you know, not facing bigotry and not feeling feeling welcome in their school play, in their in school environment, rather than this teacher having to go find another job while also having the free speech to spread his garbage. That's, well, this is doubly I, complicated by the fact that this is a religious freedom issue. So in the issue that you're bringing up, that doesn't actually involve religious freedom. But here, he has the privilege of his the protection of his deeply held beliefs, right? which things are treated very differently. Religious freedom, a.k.a. religious privilege, not actual freedom. Because other people don't enjoy your well, same benefits. Well, not all religious freedom is religious privilege. Okay, but here it is. If other people... if it's religious privilege, not freedom, when other people have to abide by certain rules and you don't have to because it's your religion. That's that's religious privilege. That's not religious freedom. That's religious privilege. Um, yes. All right. Actually, do we want to highlight anything? Um, Blank name is saying it depends and then is quoting something. I'm not sure what... He's quoting, so... Uh, I think he's um, quoting himself. <laughs> I think he's quoting himself. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, first of all, government employees are only protected by the First Amendment when they are speaking as private citizens. And I believe at a, at a public school board meeting, he would be um, speaking as a private citizen. But, yes, but protected means what? Protected then means that you don't go to jail for what you're saying. You don't get a fine for what you're saying. You don't, the government doesn't come after you for what you're saying. It doesn't mean that government is going to protect, like that you can't lose your job for what you're saying. For example, but it's example, a government job. 
Yeah, but okay. For example, here's he, let me let me give you another example of another government job. Okay, you being a police officer, right? That's a government job. Okay. Also, me swearing is protected under free speech laws in the United States. Okay, me being a police officer is a government job. Me being able to say, to say swear at people that's not illegal in the United States. That means it's protected under First Amendment laws, right? If I, as a police officer, go to my to my head officer or whatever you want to call it, I don't know how the police works. I go to my whoever is above me and I start swearing at him, and I get fired for swearing at my manager or whatever. That doesn't mean that your free speech was violated. Okay, you still get to go swear at people as if you're. In this, you still go get to write and say, use whatever swear words you want, okay? But if the requirement for you to be a police officer is not to swear at your manager, not to use swear words against manager, even though this is a public job, even though this is a government job, that you know that's not guaranteed. You can't be like swearing is is protected under the First Amendment. This is a government job, so I this is a you know public you know, government job, that means I should be able to, as a police officer, I should be able to swear at my manager. Nope, you lose your job and your free speech hasn't been violated. Does that make sense? Is that a good example? I think that's a good example. Yeah. Yeah. So I still feel like it's kind of weird to fire, to put someone on leave on the basis of expressing their opinion about a policy that could be in place. It wasn't even in place yet. Right. I'm just, like that doesn't sit okay. right with me, even though I completely don't like his conclusion or what his beliefs are. Even if this is not, if even if this is wrong, even if this doesn't sit right with you, I just question the fact that it's not right because it's a free speech issue. You know what I mean? I'm just wondering if it is actually a free speech issue. If you That's lose your job. That's what the courts decided. Yeah, I'm, I'm questioning the court. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm open to change my opinion on this. Um, can we uh, clap for the next news? Yeah. Next news. Next news. New study shows many Christians perceive LGBT acceptance as a personal attack. In a study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, a team of researchers from the Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, revealed some interesting findings regarding the frame of mind of many conservative Christians. The research used data gathered from five separate studies conducted over three and a half years from July 2016 to December 2020. In the study, the team found that heterosexual white Christians subscribe to a zero-sum bias, or ZSB, more than any other group that was studied throughout the paper. Zero-sum bias, or zero-sum thinking, is a situational perspective where an individual thinks that one person's gain translates to a loss for the other person. Clara Wilkins, the study's principal investigator, explained that since most white Christian Americans see Christianity as an integral feature of American culture, this puts them at odds with the LGBTQ plus community that they see as, quote, having increasing social influence. The team was able to identify that church leadership can use their influence over their followers to help facilitate intercultural acceptance. Um, go ahead. No, you go ahead because I want to get a better understanding of this before I because this seems outrageous. But go on. 
So this is very interesting. So first yeah. I um, want to kind of expand upon uh, our audience's understanding of what zero sum bias is. So um, zero sum is something that comes from game, game theory. Um, but then um, zero sum bias or zero sum thinking pertains to um, a cognitive flaw or fallacy that many people are subject to. So an example of zero sum bias um, that's very common is um, the perception that immigrants are going to take their jobs, someone's jobs. So they're saying because the immigrants are gaining jobs, that means that my job is going to be taken away from me. Or another really common example is in the case of consensual non-monogamous relationships. Um, someone might think, oh, because my partner has love for another person, that means they don't love me or they love me less. So um, my loss is someone's gain or vice versa. Um, and in the realm of psychology, this usually comes through um, the case of us perceiving threats um, where there is not actually um, good evidence for threats to either ourselves or our own group's dominance. Um, people in the live chat and Armin, tell me if that what made sense. Was that clear? Yes. But um, I, I just want to, you know, whenever I see study shows i'm always like but does it really uh, <laughs> because a lot of times like we don't people find like these small little studies that maybe are, were not conducted very well or were just like weren't peer-reviewed or the sample sizes were not very good or it wasn't but this was again i'm not i'm not saying that this proves it but this like what, what you have here is five separate studies that show the same result. And like the sample well, sizes are like 2000 participants. So that's a pretty good sample size. Right. Um, I don't know. Like, is this like, was this published somewhere credible? Yes, this was published. This yeah. was peer reviewed. And I want to be clear that it wasn't five studies showing um, like trying to replicate the same findings. That's different. This is five separate mm. studies published in a single 30 page paper that I got my hands okay. on. So I've actually read a portion of this um, actual okay. published article um, where they are testing and developing new hypotheses. And as the um, from study one through five, they're kind of building upon the findings of the previous work to try to identify new patterns of thinking and um, perceptions and beliefs. Um, so like I said, I actually um, got a hold of the actual article. I wasn't um, for full transparency. Like I said, it's 30 pages long. So I wasn't able to read the whole thing. Um, but if you'd like, I, I can walk us through some of the, the major findings that I thought was really interesting to kind of help paint the picture of what this was really getting at. So when you say many Christians, what percentage of Christians were talking? So are we talking here? Like, um, it's not a percentage so much uh -huh. as out of the Christians that they did pull. So they pulled like LGBT Christians. They pulled um, like non-fundamentalist Christians. And then they uh -huh. pulled what they categorize as fundamentalist or conservative Christians. And they had control groups as well. Yeah, but when the title says study shows many Christians perceived LGBT acceptance as personal attack, do we have any idea of what this what the word many means here? Well, you know okay. I mean? 
full transparency, I'm the one who has to pick the titles for our news stories. And we didn't have enough in our character count to say conservative. And I wasn't just going to say Christians in general. So it just said that there are many. Okay. So uh, Christians as a whole, do we, we, can we tell or can't we tell Christians as a whole, what percentage of them perceive? Not at all. In fact, the study found that if they were not fundamentalists, they were less likely to be subject to this bias. Not at all. Meaning like closer. Do we have any percentages basically? No, no, no. It's, it's not percentage. It's based on category. Oh, and we don't have. Okay. So fundamental, fundamental Christians, what percentage of them? we don't have that either okay it's, just, it's, if you don't have i will i didn't have enough time to dig into these things right. that okay. specifically but it's more okay, like okay. not it's not percentage it's like out of these groups that we categorized people on uh, based out of their okay, okay. beliefs that so. they expressed to us what mm. are like the fundamentalists saying versus the non-fundamentalists versus the lgbt christians versus our control that kind of thing i see i see so okay, it's not okay, percentage so, based if you want to see, if you want to see maybe if this data, because like we can't like, we didn't have enough time to dig deep into the study, right? Um, obviously, um, but uh, Suze and our writer were helpful enough to link to the study if you want to do a deep dive in there. So mm-hmm. link it, link to the link to this article is in the description. Description. If you want to go do a deep dive, when you click on the article, you can see that there are links to the studies. If you wanna, if you wanna go full on nerdy on it, then check out what this, what the data says. But this, this is interesting because this is this was this is. I don't know if this is a good way to mention it. So you could criticize me, Suze, if it's if it's not. But this is basically saying, uh, we're bigots. Like Christianity, their Christianity is making turning them to bigots. Like I mean, can you? Is this not fair to describe this as bigotry? If you think like acceptance of an entire group of people <laughs> is an attack on you, like this is like I can't imagine this not being. They- Christian bigotry. Yeah, go ahead. They actually had, so within their five studies that are part of this paper as a whole, there were specific findings that these zero-sum beliefs are actually a function of the Christian scripture itself. They say that? Yes. Wait, we have studies now that will, that is now directly, we have studies, peer-reviewed studies that is now blaming Christian scripture for bigotry. That's amazing. In in the use of it. So let me get into this. Um, So like I said, it's not percentage based on how much Christians believe this. This is likelihoods. Okay. So think of it, Armin, I want you to think about it this way. It's likelihoods. We provide evidence that on average, cisgender heterosexual Christians are more likely than other groups to view LGBT individuals as being in a zero sum relationship with Christians. Meaning if they gain, we lose. That, that's my commentary. In study one, cishet Christians reported believing that decreasing discrimination against LGBT individuals corresponds to increasing bias against their own group. Study two demonstrated that priming religious values increases Christians' zero-sum biases. So what they mean by priming is that they would provide them with certain scriptures that supported um uh, bigotry or animus towards LGBT people. And then when they were presented with these scriptures first and then asked about their opinions, they would have stronger zero sum biases. Okay. 
Um, together, these findings suggest that Christians are more inclined to perceive a zero-sum relationships between um, Christians and LGBT individuals, and that these beliefs are a function of Christian beliefs rather than sexual orientation. Amazing. Amazing. This is amazing. I wonder if it could be replicated, because that would make it even stronger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, study three manipulated symbolic threat by asking Christians to consider the decreasing social and cultural influence of Christians in the U.S. When threat was primed in this way, Christians reported greater zero-sum biases relate, rela relative to the control condition. So here, what they mean by symbolic threat is, like I said, social and cultural versus a, um, the, what's the word that they use? Um, realistic threat would be something like an immigrant is going to take my job. That's something that actually is um, more tangible. You know, okay, that's realist, economic realist, versus just bit, cultural. Yeah, re realistic. Um, but when Susanna says realistic, I just want to make it clear. You're not saying that it's more rational and possible to happen. You're just saying it's more tangible. It's like... that. That's a psychological term. Then, yeah, okay, yeah, so... I just wanted to make make it so that people don't think that you're thinking uh, that's a rational fear to have. You're just you're saying it's tangible. In fact, yeah, this, the, the discussion of the study goes into actually explaining that it isn't. Um, thus, we provide the first evidence that symbolic threat drives zero sum beliefs. Uh, colon, perceived conflict between Christians and sexual minorities stems from perceived threat to Christian values in addition to concern about real resources, which um, happens on occasion. And perceived threats to values arise in response to sociodemographic changes and decreasing social influence of Christians in the United States. Conservative Christians, specifically those identifying as fundamentalists, are most resistant to social change, and thus we anticipated that they would be more concerned about maintaining Christians' social position. Consistent with this expectation, supplemental analyses for study three revealed that fundamentalists experience the most threat in response to decreasing Christian uh, influence in society. Study four identified an intervention to mitigate zero-sum biases by highlighting the consistency between acceptance of sexual minorities and the Christian faith for a subgroup of Christians. So, like I said, th this paper goes through, they had a study, and then throughout the studies, they build upon these ideas. So by the time they reach to study four, they're saying, what could we actually present to these groups as an intervention to try to change the observable behavior? Okay, so what they did was provide biblical scriptures that promote acceptance, promote um, intercultural harmony, intergroup uh, love and acceptance, that kind of thing, to see if it would actually change their um, the biases that they displayed previously. And they found that it was the fundamentalists who, even when presented with this with this intervention, were the least likely to um, be responsive to the intervention. But the other Christians and the and the other groups that they studied. Um, actually did respond positively and they did see more of an increase in the zero-sum biases. Did they try any other forms of intervention other than using other Bible verses? Not that they... Um, <sighs> they, missed, they missed an opportunity here. <laughs> um, mainline you know why Christians... I'm Sorry? You know why I'm asking? Because this would be a study that would basically be comparing reform versus abandoning religion Whoa, if it did have that. What? 
<laughs> that wouldn't that be amazing if they were like doing two different groups of fundamentals and with one of them we're trying to use the bible to see if they could make them more tolerant and with the other one they were trying mm -hmm. to make, maybe promote skepticism and christianity itself to see if they would become more tolerant and then they compared the two groups that would be a study that would basically be comparing reform versus abandoning a religion that would be that would be amazing I yeah. would be, I would be, yeah, okay. Wait, there are a few more highlights that I wanted to um, pull out. So, quote, mainline Christians, so these are the non-fundamentalists, or th this is based on the way that they talk about them within this paper. Mainline Christians who read a Bible passage about non-judgment reported lower um, zero-sum biases, lower sexual prejudice, and greater support for same-sex marriage than those in a control condition. Therefore, Christian values can increase based on study one, where they presented them with the Bible passages that condemn, you know, same-sex behavior, or decrease, which was study four, where they do this intervention. Um, so Christian values can increase or decrease Christians' zero-sum biases. Um, the specific role likely depends on whether values are seen as highlighting the perceived inconsistency or, in, or consistency between being a good Christian and accepting sexual minorities. This, um, and then study five examined zero-sum biases in a community sample of specifically um, American United Methodists and assessed changes over time in response to church legislation. So for background, the United Kingdom, United Methodist Congregation approved legislation um, that they would actually bless same-sex marriages. So the United Kingdom um, Methodist community is becoming more progressive. Meanwhile, in the United States, our United Methodist community um, approved some form of, some form of legislation that um, more constrained the role that gay or lesbian people can play within um, the diocese they don't use diocese what's um in in church leadership so they actually got a little more conservative and so they were studying the specific population in america and how they reacted to the new legislation that was constraining people more um and um this uh pattern suggests that the united methodist uh churches vote to increase restrictions communicated the inconsistency between religious doctrine and lgbt individuals and thus sanctioned bias against the latter for zero-sum endorsers so they're saying that this move by the church validated the biases that their followers had um and um they were talking about um, how zero-sum biases pre predicted greater sexual prejudice and decreased support for same-sex marriage. Um, for example, the legislation of same-sex marriage provided... Oh, and so they're saying um, that these results are consistent... Um, to what they find in the real world. And so they say, for example, the legislation of same-sex marriage of uh, federally in America provided new clientele and significant potential financial gains for the wedding industry, AKA not an economic threat, not a so-called realistic threat. Nevertheless, the owner of the masterpiece cake shop viewed this legislation as a symbolic threat that posed a danger to the owner's religious values. And this was used to justify service refusal. Um, and they go on to have a section that's all saying like, do 
this was very smart of the authors and they're saying, do these biases actually reflect the reality? Um, and they say, it is important to note that although there has been significant social gains for sexual minorities, these do not likely respond, correspond to increasing bias against Christians, despite some Christians' perceptions. So then they go into, um, a, you know, a, um, a reflection of the literature that says that there is not increasing bias against Christians. There isn't studies that validate th these perceptions. So they're actually saying that um, th these biases are not reflective of reality. And that is very important for researchers to investigate and pull apart. Like how much are these biases actually justified, right? So they have a section dedicated to say, no, they're not justified. And then this was interesting to me. Perceptions of anti-Christian bias seems to be particularly acute for conservative Christians. The majority, 57% of white evangelicals report that their group experiences a lot of discrimination in the United States today. And that was a finding from a paper in 2018. Um, and then kind of in conclusion, they have a section titled, what are the functions of zero-sum biases? And they say, quote, if Christians do not appear to experience increasing objective bias against their group, what is the purpose of the zero-sum biases? As described above and articulated in the instrumental model of intergroup conflict, um, zero-sum biases likely arise to motivate efforts to maintain group dominance. Whereas dominance related to zero-sum biases has um, traditionally been conceptualized in relation to distribution of resources, for example, like I gave the example of um, immigrant, immigrants and jobs, we argue and provide evidence that zero-sum biases also arise as an effort to exert cultural dominance. And why did Armin have to leave for the best part? Oh my God. They literally bring forth studies that say religiosity is a form of system justification, particularly for Christians. So a threat to Christianity might be taken as a threat to the system, which Christians are motivated to defend. When Christians experience symbolic threat and are concerned about losing their group's historic dominance, zero-sum biases motivate them to reestablish the group's position. Um, I thought it was so bold. I don't know. Maybe it's just me just seen in an academic paper, the words religiosity is a form of system justification. I was like, oh, this is it. Oh my God. <laughs> Did you hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. I, this is Bluetooth. So if even if I go away, I'm still listening. So don't, don't worry about that. Um, Wait, so the, when you say it's an attack on the system, the title says it's a personal attack. Are there two different things that the study is mentioning? Like, do they see it as an attack on their values, as an attack on the system, or are you seeing it as a personal attack, or all three separately is being measured here? Um, a, a personal attack by way of group identity. Does oh, okay. that make sense? Right, yes. That, that was my interpretation of this. Okay. I, I don't understand. Explain this part to me because they say they're not justified to have this fear. Are they really not justified? Because like, for example, what it says in the article it says many Christians have come to see themselves as being on the losing side of the cultural wars. I mean, they are. <laughs> I'm, uh, thankfully so. Like do they, when they say that they see this as an attack on their values and, th and that's their fear, 
why does the study say that this is not a justified fear? It is a justified fear, but that we're on the winning side and they're worried that they're on the losing side. I mean, they are, and that's a good thing. How is that not well, a justified fear? To quote the study, sexual minorities continue to face disproportionate violence and discrimination. In 2018, LGBT individuals make up approximately 20% of all hate crime incidents, even though they make up only 4.5% of the population. And although same-sex marriage has been legal in the United States since 2015, a recent audit study revealed that same-sex couples continue to experience more discrimination from wedding industry professionals than heterosexual couples. Furthermore, only recently did the Supreme Court establish that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 applies to sexual orientation and sexual identity. Interestingly and consistent with the present research, it seems that, cons that conservative Christians interpret the ruling as a loss for their group. Before June 15th, 2020, the June 15th, 2020 ruling, laws meant to prevent bias based on sex were selectively interpreted to only sometimes include sexual orientation and gender identity. Despite these, um, so basically they're saying there there isn't evidence that they face discrimination. They don't face violent attacks. Yeah. They yeah. Yeah, but that's that, okay, different than so, just culture war stuff. We're talking about demonstrable that's, instances that's of why, okay. violence yeah, but that's and discrimination. And that's why that's why I was asking if this if the if the fear is that that's why I, before I said I don't know why they're not justified. I asked my question was, are they? The title says many Christians perceive LGBT acceptance as a personal attack. So I wanted to understand what this means, what this personal attack means, okay? Because are they worried that their values are going are being defeated, or are they worried that they're being discriminated against? Okay, because are these two? Is this study mentioning two different things? Okay, if the worry, if they are, if they are terrified that they're going to be discriminated against, okay, that is an unjustified fear right that's irrational and all the things that you mentioned show it's a good indication of why that's absolutely ridiculous to think right um that's an irrational fear but if the fear is that oh my god our values are being defeated we're like we're we're being humiliated our you know our way of life our way of understanding the world is becoming less and less and less popular right if that is a fear then that fear is completely justified. Yes, you are losing. Yes, we are coming from your values. Yes, we will defeat your religion. Yes, we will crush everything that you hold dear, <laughs> right? I, you know, glad, you know, happily so. And you will be, you know, your views are going to be seen as the biggest, you know, you're going to be seen as the biggest that you are by more and more people. Um, if that is the fear, that fear is justified, so that's why I was trying to separate what is the what what's the issue. Like, oh my god, like you know, gay people are being accepted. This is a personal attack on me. Um, they're just oh, this is anti-Christian discrimination. That's like moronic and should be laughed at. But if the fear is my values are being defeated, that that fear is justified. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, so, um, the way that it's measured within this study, it's not justified because the essence of zero sum bias is that if you gain, I lose. And I, that's where the sense of personal attack comes from. 
So, right. So, so it, it, I think what I'm saying is when we say lose, okay, if by lose we mean that you are being discriminated against, right? That's a, that's, then that's unjustified, right? If, 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 if the people's perception is gay people winning means I'm losing, right? Well, that's the zero sum game that we talked about, and that's moronic, and the, the fears are unjustified, right? Because how do you, like, yeah, obviously, right? But if the fear is my values are being destroyed, that's a separate thing. You know what I mean? I mean, I think the zero sum game in the in the value department is justified, right? If the va it's it is like if we're just talking about attack on individuals, the zero sum game doesn't make sense. Some people winning doesn't mean you're losing, right? Everybody could just be happy, right? Other people being happy and accepted doesn't take anything away from you. So in the world of discrimination and people's individual lives and happiness and tolerance, that doesn't make any sense. But in the world of values, right? If more people are believing in things that goes against your values, that is a zero-sum game, right? I mean, for example, if more, if less people are Christian, if, le if more people have unchristian values, that means that if more people are having values that is not accepted in Christianity, that means you're losing people who accept your values. Like, that is a zero-sum game, you know? If more people think like us, that means more less people think like them. So in the world of values, it is a zero-sum game. Does it? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yes, I think you're kind of thinking about this differently than as it's conceptualized right. in like a strictly operationalizable psychological sense. Okay, okay, okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> when, you're, when you're studying psychology, particularly social psychology, you have to operationalize your term in a very specific, strict way so that you can consistently measure and validate that you're measuring what you're trying to measure correctly. Right? right. And you have to be very, have a very specific lens in which you're doing so. I just think the study is measuring, you know, discrimination and, you know, that first thing, not the second thing. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking that study is not measuring because I'm thinking like if you were actually, if the game was like who has our values and who has less va their values, that is not what the study is measuring because that is a zero-sum game and they are rational to fear that they're on the losing side, okay? But if the study is measuring um, the fact that, you know, is it like if the study is more focused on uh, gay people's acceptance, does that make like Christian lives horrible and are they being attacked if we accept, you know, gay rights and all that, then that's not a zero-sum game. And the fact that they're afraid of that that is irrational, and I think that's what the study is focusing on, right? So, yeah. Does that make – was that accurate, what I just said, Do you, based on your understanding of the study? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, you know, we're winning on the, on the you know, battle of values, and they're losing, and that's a zero-sum game, and I'm and I'm – Glad that they were we're on the winning side of this. That's all I'm saying, right? Um, but yes. Well, but, it's no. I'm wait. I'm I'm gonna take that back. We're just gonna go in circles. Okay. okay, um, okay. So, and it, that's a different thing. That what I'm that what I'm what I just said is different from what the study was measuring. By the way, I'm not negating mm -hmm. the study. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I also just want to note that there actually are documented hate crimes that do happen against Christians, um, which yeah. I thought was interesting. They reference that in the study. Um, but they do say, furthermore, an analysis of 40 years of attitudes toward conservative Christians based on the American National Election Studies survey provides no evidence of increasing negativity towards Christians over time. In fact, attitudes averaged from near neutral to positive for fundamentalist Christians. But this is very different from the attitudes towards Christians as people versus the relevance, dominance, and popularity of Christian values, which is what Armin is getting at. Okay, cool. All right. Um, are we good to clap on the... Can we clap for the next news? Yeah. Next news. Next news. Six sentenced to death for murder of Bangladeshi gay rights activists. Wait, why On, are we clapping for this? Because there are people who were being brought to justice for them, their violent crimes against LGBT oh, activists. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, sorry. I misunderstood. <laughs> On April 25th, 2016, Bangladesh's top gay activist, uh, Zulhaz Manam, was brutally murdered along with actor known by the name Rabbi or Rabbi um, Tanoi. Both victims were figureheads and pillars in Bangladesh's thriving um, LGBT nonprofit advocacy group and community known as Rupam. Manam and Tanoi were 35 years old and 25 years old at the time of their murder. They were instrumental in the creation of Rupan's magazine of the same title. Uh, Marcia Berinkat, the U.S. ambassador for Bangladesh at the time, condemned Manam's killing. Ansar al-Islam, uh, a Bangladesh-based offshoot of Al-Qaeda, claimed responsibility for the murder and of other attacks targeting atheists and other secular activists. After more than half a decade passed, the special... Uh, can I say the T word? Um, sure. The special anti-terrorism tribunal has sentenced six men out of the eight charged for Manam's and Tonoy's murder. I, yeah, I, I mean, this is, I mean, I'm glad that justice is, you know, taking place. But the death, I mean, I don't want us to celebrate the death sentence. I mean, we're against capital punishment here, right? Yeah. Um, and that's actually something I thought was really interesting when um, doing research on this story was that people who are figureheads of the Bangladeshi um, LGBT community nowadays, they were actually, they, they themselves were expressing like, I'm happy that, you know, there is some form of justice for, you know, our friends, but we ourselves are actually anti-death penalty activists. So we don't support that and we fight against the death penalty and we would have preferred um, a life sentence. Um, but they were happy in the sense that these murders were being taken seriously. Does that make sense? That's kind of how I feel about it too. Yeah. I mean, we could still be like, yay, justice and boo capital punishment. 
you know, like we could have a mixed feeling about this. It's okay to have mixed feelings about things, I guess, right? But yeah. okay, I do want to highlight this in the live chat because I see this all the time. I see this so many times. Here, so many, so many times, people are saying, "I normally don't support the death penalty," but guys, if you say, "I normally don't support the death penalty," but that means you don't, you do support the death penalty, okay? Because the death penalty, wherever it's there, it's for specific situation, okay? The death penalty is always not for every goddamn case. Death penalty has always been there for specific. So if you say I'm not for the death penalty, but you're one of the people who supports the death penalty. So don't say I don't support the death penalty, but you are Zakuru, you are a supporter of the death penalty. If you if you put but after that sentence, that means you're a supporter of death penalty. Okay, so yeah, just to clarify that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't support the death penalty at all, um, and that's difference. That's a, there's a difference, by the way, with uh, the death penalty and you know, killing people in war, right? Like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be like, I'm not, I'm not like 100 like anti any form of violence, like. You know, violence, there are certain situations where it's justified, especially during war and stuff like that. But yeah, death penalty doesn't make any sense. And it should be abolished everywhere on the planet. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Um, so we have someone on our team who has a Bangladeshi background. And um, they were talking to me about this news. And they... Um, said that they actually used to like check out articles from this magazine in this community, um, Rupon, Rupon, which apparently means handsome, <laughs> which I love. Um, and uh, they were saying um, how it just takes such balls of steel and bravery to do anything regarding the LGBT community over there in Bangladesh and how deeply rooted the homophobia is in their society. So it's, um, these people, these activists were doing a great service for um, the Bangladeshi community at, at large, I feel. And their murders were just horrible. Like, um, it was horrible. I don't know what it is about like that period of time in Bangladesh, but everyone was, was just being like, it was just machetes like all over the place. Maybe just because it's yeah. more convenient to get to someone in the street that way. I don't know. But um. It it's such a bad way to go. I mean, all many all ways are bad way to go, but like that was absolutely. It's such a slow death, and it's so goddamn painful. Like these people, you know, these are some of the worst, you know, people on the planet. But yeah, go on. Well, it's kind of interesting. So, um, two out of the six people who were sentenced are actually still at large. So they were tried in abstancia. Um, mm. And um, so they're still like on the run, basically. And one of them included a former army major who is said to be responsible for organizing um, the series of murders, which I, I hope they're ex I hope they're so stressed right now. I hope that they're living in a very, very unhappy, stressful situation right now as they're like scared of getting arrested. Like maybe, like maybe, yeah. Anyways, I shouldn't say. That. Well, yeah. I mean, they managed to be on the run for like a fairly long period of time, so I don't know how likely their actual capture is. And I mm. mean, this was just the sentencing, so there are further legal processes that can occur 
to um, adjust their sentence. Um, I'm assuming, I think Bangladesh is based off of British common law, which that's probably the case. I know in America, you know, there's still further processes, but um, that's the update so far. Um, and it's, um, this, these series of murders was kind of a big turning point for a lot of the community of the LGBT community or particularly activists in Bangladesh because, um, they just really have to, it sets a precedent, right? And you have to fear for your safety in a very present and acute way, um, than beforehand. Um, yeah. Uh, any any of the secular act? Well, we, we don't know. I, I don't think should, that's a fair question because we haven't you haven't looked into it. But because there was a lot of uh, secular and atheist activists that were also macheted, but they like I'm hoping that their murderers will also get justice. I don't know. If well, we actually covered a story um, uh, several months ago. Um, about one of these Bangladeshi uh, secular writers. And I'm so mad at myself, I can't remember his name right now, but his murderers were actually um, sentenced to the death penalty as well. And we had, of course, a similar conversation about our contention over that at the time. Of, of course, of course we do. Anyways, anything in the live chat you want to highlight before we go to the next news? Um, I will take a look. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, people, if there's any but in regards to a statement, then you just negated what became before the but. <laughs> <laughs> I see there's multiple instances of that in the chat. Um, yeah. All right. Can we clap for the next news? Yes, we can. <laughs> Next news. Next news. Atheist author Greg Epstein elected as the chief chaplain of Harvard. Greg Epstein is the current and newly elected chief chaplain at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Epstein was able to identify with the growing number of students in Harvard who, quote, no longer identify with any religious tradition but still experience real need for conversation and support. So he um, has been the humanist chaplain at Harvard for a long time. And now he's in charge of all of the chaplains. <laughs> um, he has introduced many to the idea that an individual's relationship can be centered around one another as humans as instead of centered around a deity. His election as the chief chaplain was unanimous. Epstein has also written for TechCrunch, one of the top publications in Silicon Valley, um, where he explored the ethical aspects of technologies and their adaptions across different industries. His book, Good Without God, What a Billion Non-Religious People Do Believe, published in 2010, continues to be a source of influence on the rising demographics of human and humanists and atheists across the country. So this was awesome. Congratulations. To Greg Epstein. Um, and what I thought what was so interesting is um, this is kind of like an administrative position. So he um, reports, I believe, directly to the president of the university. Um, but it was the other humanists and there are uh, four, around 40 other chaplains 
And they were responsible for electing him. So it was actually, you know, I presumably all theists, the rest of them, um, who unanimously voted for him to become their chief chaplain and um, administrative leader. So are you telling me that this is an atheist takeover of all the available options in Harvard? <laughs> well, like you, we went. Are you saying that we went from having a chaplain for every person, and then one for atheists, just so that they have a, for people who don't have a religion to have an option, to the atheist um, person that is in charge of the humanist chaplain to just take over every single other ones, and now no. everybody has to go. <laughs> everyone has to go to the atheist. For, for their spiritual needs or whatever they call it. No, 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 no. So he's not taking anyone's job, right? <laughs> he does not dictate when any, right. like the, the beliefs or the practices of the other chaplains, right? He's not taking over their jobs <laughs> or anything like that. It's Can an administrative position. Taking... So he okay. has kind of the highest position of authority on an administrative kind of bureaucratic level of all the other chaplains, um, but he doesn't interfere with their personal beliefs or their ministry I, in right. that kind of capacity, I, except potentially in case if there was like any sort of violation, I would imagine, but from an administrative capacity, not from- And this was a unanimous- atheist. This was a unanimous decision. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're so I'm assuming that we have Islamic ones and Christian ones and Hindu Baha'is, Hindus. Baha'i. Okay. And they all said like they all agreed that yeah, put the atheists in charge. They, yeah. This was a, well, okay. Okay. I mean, this is Harvard, so anything go, like this is not is not representative of other people with these beliefs outside of Harvard, but still, still pretty amazing pretty like i thought it was so interesting because there this was kind of announced during this big major profile in the new york times so that's no big that's a big deal and um it, the title was something along the lines of like harvard's new chief chaplain like it's an atheist or something. <laughs> and one, this was funny because I had like at least three separate members of my extended family send me that article. <laughs> like Susanna, look. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, if you guys um, have access, I would go read that profile in the New York Times. It was really sweet. Um, it talks about his colleagues commending him for having a unique ability to have interfaith dialogue and facilitate interfaith dialogue um, to help students who were called in the article religious refugees. So um, there's one woman who talks about she grew up in like an ultra Orthodox Hasidic community and all that she could ever dream of being as a child was a bride because that was the only thing that they could think of. And in secret, she applied to Harvard and then she had to leave her family to attend Harvard. And she was struggling with her experiences and not having someone to talk to. And she became friends with and co could relate to Greg Epstein. Um, and 
then she talks about how her mom was asking her for to look at the university's like school yearbook and she was like i don't think you would like it because it shows me as like the president of harvard's humanist atheist and agnostics group like so she became even like the leader of that student group and she's like and it shows my shoulders <laughs> um <laughs> and yeah. it's funny because um one of the people other people that was talk that they interviewed in the article was um the chaplain for the christian scientists and um that woman was talking about how you know a lot of people might be looking at this and think what the heck is harvard doing <laughs> but they're saying based on their community and how greg fits into the community um he was just such a good fit and was unanimously voted upon by the other chaplains um who are part of the board um in this election and um one thing I didn't know was that Harvard was actually founded because in colonial America, they wanted to ensure that the clergy would be literate. So Harvard was actually founded to educate clergymen to make sure that there was literacy like, among like many the other religious other leaders. And was I was like, look at us now. We have an <laughs> <laughs> This is what education gets you. Um <laughs> Okay, so I have a question. What is the fun what is the purpose of the chaplains? The um, so a chaplain in a university setting is just kind of to provide spiritual or emotional guidance to students. Um, often it's kind of um, mentorship. Um, uh, what did they so define as spiritual? spiritual well, I mean, be, yeah. They, they expanded to the point that now, I mean, when I think of chaplain, I think of someone strictly in a religious capacity, but they've expanded it to now include even atheists just right. there. And he provides people with the unique opportunity to talk about them falling away from religion or a, a more um, uh, organized religious background. Cause you know, there's still a lot of people who are like kind of vaguely spiritual Um but he has the potential to relate and validate the feelings of those students perhaps more than um, other chaplains could. So we are basically, at least in this environment, not in other places, we have the head of the religious leaders of every single community in Harvard has basically, we have them acknowledging that the best, you know, that a person that has written a book called good without God. Like he's not like one of those people that tries be is an atheist, but is like shy away from his atheism. No, he's a self-proclaimed like, atheist. Like, yeah. Like he doesn't, like he doesn't hide his atheism. He has a book that without God is in the title. Right. Um, like it is like so, so telling people that, you know, atheism is, you know, promoting atheism, you could say. So, but you, so I'm just trying to acknowledge the progress that we have here, right? Um, I'm, I'm basically congratulating these religious leaders. We have these religious leaders acknowledging that somebody that is not just an atheist, but an atheist activist that is actually encouraging atheism is fit to be in charge of providing people with what they to deem to be, quote unquote, like spiritual needs or moral guide or you know sense of significance or sense of like some emotional comfort they think like some atheists are have the capacity to be 
to provide that guy to people, right? And this mm -hmm. is them unanimously voting for putting this person in charge is them, in my view at least, you know, them accepting this, right? Do you see it that way? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There, there are lots of. He's even the um, humanist chaplain for MIT as well. Right. Um, and the reason why this is so so significant to me is because a lot of people think atheist activism is just about encouraging more people to become atheists, right? But I think the bigger part of what I think should be the main focus of atheist activism, I think like encouraging people to leave their religion is secondary, what I consider to be secondary in atheist acti activism. I think the primary role of atheist, atheist activism is to normalize atheism and to, to make more people just accept atheism as part of society, accept atheists, tolerate atheists, um, don't see them as less of, just accept atheists as, you know, same as everybody else in society, right? Because that is, that's a, such a easier win and shorter term goal that we could have or beyond just like encouraging people to leave superstition, right? I'm not saying that we should abandon our attempt to show people that their religion is bull crap, right? I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. We should still do that. But I'm saying the, this encouraging people who will remain religious, who will not abandon their religion, to just accept atheists um, and not see them as less, that, that is our primary goal. And I think like stories like this, even though this is anecdotal, even though this is like an environment where people are a lot more educated and tolerance is a lot more encouraged, and people are a lot more wiser. This is not an indication of what's happening. And you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's not happening, but this is not a story to show that. It's still a, a morale boost for us to see, like, you know, it's possible. It's it's happening. It could be happening. You know what I mean? Like I so that's how I see it. And I think people should celebrate religious people who do accept atheists, right? Just because you think that their views are moronic, which they are, doesn't mean that we can't celebrate these people and encourage this kind of behavior, okay? Just remember that saying somebody has moronic views is not an attack on them because we all have moronic views. There's not as, I mean, I, there's likely, there are very few people um, on this planet that don't have any moronic views. And I would say I'm probably not one of them, right? Oh, like definitely we all, me. <laughs> yeah, everybody, we are like, the vast majority of us have certain views that are absolutely moronic that we don't recognize that they're moronic. Uh, so me telling people that me, me telling religious people uh, that their religion is moronic and they have moronic views, they shouldn't take this as a personal attack because it's not a crime to have moronic views, beliefs. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, what I thought was really interesting, and I encourage you guys to follow Greg Epstein on um, Twitter. I don't know him, but he seems like a really sweet guy. Um, a lot of his work and his approach to his work is centered around like how to be better humans to one another. So like I said, centering relationships with each other instead of centering a relationship with God, which I think is really powerful and um, an interesting way of um, reframing the way that a lot of people think about how, you know, we interact within society. Um, and yeah, so congratulations. Wait, no, I had one more hilarious thing to share before we move to the next news. Um, mm. So in in the descriptions, can you see the link that I wanted to show? 
Oh wait, hold on. <laughs> this is this is so good. Wait, in the descriptions or in the Google Notes? I'm not in seeing the, it. in in the well this the description oh, yeah. part of the Google Notes. Oh yeah, yeah. I see I see I see I see I see. It's redirecting me, it's saying a redirect notice, it's taking me to Facebook. Yes. All right, hold on. <laughs> okay so i saw this after we published this on our website and i had to talk about it today because it's so funny to me so um after this was announced you know there were a lot of reactions of it and this was posted by the catholic news agency catholic news agency bishop Barron questions election of atheist as harvard chaplain president and then this quote if a professed atheist counts as a chaplain then religion quite obviously has come to mean nothing at all well i, I mean we just have yeah. i sent this as a screenshot to our team and i was like good we're winning <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know if that's actually true, though. I mean, I wish this was true, but I think, like, this is a chaplain without religion. So I don't think, like, they're saying this atheist person is religious or this atheist person is providing religion. I think they are, what they're suggesting is that this is a religion-less chaplain, like, the, at least a humanist version. That's what they're yeah. saying. Well, yeah, then so. he continues... Bishop Robert Barron said on Tuesday that the Harvard University chaplains have made a, quote, complete and object surrender <laughs> by electing <laughs> an atheist as the president of their association. What does That's bother right. me, Barron wrote in an August 31st op-ed for the New York Post, is the complete and abject surrender on the part of the presumably religious leaders at Harvard who chose this man. Presumably religious. As a, if a professed atheist counts as a chaplain, which is to say the leader of a religious, um, which is to say a leader of religious services in a chapel, then religion quite obviously has come to mean nothing at all. Um, so basically at that point, the, um, uh, they, they clarified with the administration, um, that, uh, about his role and so they said yeah his his role is, as a chaplain facilitator is administrative and it has no effect on its ministry at harvard because like the bishop said traditionally the word chaplain means someone who is the leader of religious services in a chapel so they're like what the heck does that even mean to have a humanist atheist chaplain and they're like well it's, it's at this point it's not a literal chapel it's more of just a title <laughs> Read what the read this secular one. rarity saying we accept your surrender religiously. Yeah, and 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 we're coming for the Catholic Church next. You're oh, you're no. on our you're on oh, our list. We're oh, coming. No. <laughs> we're coming for you. <laughs> yeah, but just yeah. to clarify for everyone, atheist this is a quote. pope one day in history, <laughs> the first atheist pope. <laughs> that That'd would be, be so cool. <laughs> um. But just to clarify for everyone, this is a quote from the CNA article. Um, Epstein will also convene all the university chaplains when they have matters to discuss, he said, and thus will be, quote, representing the entire group, but he's not representing his own opinions. So that kind of speaks to Armin's question in the beginning of the segment. By the way, I want to tell everybody that all this Epstein talk is probably going to make this video not get recommended. So please oh, like man. and share this video. Like, make sure you like, I know this has nothing to do with that Epstein, but given that we're saying Epstein so much, you know, this is probably going to hurt this video. So please 
like the video, help this, you know, help us reach more people. Okay. Um, I did, by the way, before we go to, is that, was that the last thing? Should I say? Something? Uh, well, the last news is Atheist Republic news. I know, I know, no. Before we go to the last news, there's something about one of the news that I had in my notes to mention, and I wanted to mention it, and I forgot. Should I, like, leave that for another day, or can I mention it right now? What story was it? Okay, about the study, about the, the scripture, like, the influence of using scripture. Um, so As an intervention on Christians. As an intervention, in yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so before, because this part might get cut separately, I just want to summarize what that study um, suggested, and you could um, let me know if I'm getting it wrong. Um, the study that you that we reviewed was suggesting that you could use certain Bible verses um, that are loving and seem to be tolerant as a way to influence fundamental Christians to become more accepting, uh, more tolerant of LGBT people, right? And that has a positive influence on them to become make them more accepting. And there's also certain Bible verses that could be used as a way to make them less tolerant. And if you like if you focus on those Bible verses, it has an influence of on the, making them um, less tolerant and more anti-LGBT, right? Is that a fair description of what you think the study shows? Um well, it's uh, surrounding the specific type of biases. It could either increase this type of biases or decrease it, depending on what they were primed with, what type of scripture they were primed with. Depending on the type of scripture that were being primed, like so, it depended on the scripture. By the way, for people who didn't, who might see this video and not see that, what 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 should they search for to be able to find that study? Because I'm not. Um, we'll just well, link. We titled our segment "New Study Shows Many Christians Perceive LGBT Acceptance as Personal Attack." Yeah, I don't want to talk about the title because that's a different part of the study. I'm talking about this specific part of the title. Anyways, because because we, we will link to it. If this part gets cut, I'll just make our editor to link to the link to that article where you can find the study in the description of this part. Okay. So what I ask when you mentioned that, I asked you um if there was also a measurement of other methods of intervention to try to like other than using Bible. Was there anything in the study that tried to use non-biblical ways to see, like maybe promoting skepticism on Christianity as a whole, as a way to see what the influence on that would be um, on maybe Christian fundamentals to see if they would be more accepting of gay rights or not, right? And we said that it, there, there wasn't, right? There, and the reason why I ask that is because I am somebody that wants to see the different tactics on, like for example, reforming religion versus like encouraging people to abandon religion which ones are the best way to encourage like better values and standards in society because i'm on the side of re don't reform religion just encourage people to either abandon religion or become more skeptical of it i think that's a lot you get a lot more uh, return on your investment if you do that okay and this so there's no there that study does not exist it would be very interesting to show that, and th and then some. Let's say, for example, if you promote skepticism, and then you, you or you focus on certain Bible verses that shows that it encourages people to become more tolerant or more accepting, um, and there's also a study that shows there's that we have right now, as you mentioned, that shows in, uh, focusing on some certain other Bible verses will make people less tolerant. So people may be like, okay, if, if promoting skepticism or abandoning religion works and, and focusing on certain Bible verses also works, 
then why not do both? Okay. And I want to address that, right? Like, let's say both of these, let's say both of these work. Uh, the problem is that the same study shows that there are Bible verses that, you know, the study confirmed that there's certain Bible verses that discourages to tolerance if you focus on that. So my problem is that when you use the Bible, okay, if we have alternative methods that work, then we shouldn't be using the Bible as a way to encourage better behavior, right? Even if it works, because what you're doing is that you're giving authority and legitimacy to a tool like that you can't, the Bible comes with those verses that has that negative effect, right? So this, this is a weapon that you could use for good and for evil and it's harmful, right? It, like you're, the Bible itself legitimizing it and considering a source of authority, right? Then you're putting a tool in people's hands that could be used to encourage, you know, intolerance or hatred towards an entire group of people. I just think like the, given that legitimizing this as a source of uh, authority and a sort of moral guide by itself is faulty. And given that those Bible verses that you could use to encourage hatred towards a group of people is inside the same book, then you shouldn't be using method, even if the even if highlighting certain verses in the Bible has some positive effect, the side effect to that is that you're giving authority and legitimacy to this book that includes those other Bible verses. So I'm saying that if you use other methods that does not require you to put this book on a pedestal or make it seem like it's a good way to come up with a guide, then even if you find positive methods, positive verses, you shouldn't be using them because we have better methods that would not involve you legitimizing those other Bible verses that does encourage hatred. Does that make does that make sense what I'm saying here? Well, yeah, and I mean it gets at a central epistemological flaw where right. essentially um to a certain extent you are using faith as your tool. And as the study showed, well, it's not specifically faith, it's like what verse verses you rely on, but it's your faith that gives it a source of authority is what I'm getting at. And that's kind of outside the purview of the specific study we were looking at. Um, but the, the faith is the issue because it can lead you to bad conclusions. It's not consistent in, its con in leading you to a consistent conclusion. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you're just using a faulty methodology and trying to encourage people to get to the good conclusion. That by itself is a problem. That fundamentally by itself is like you're using bad premises and you're fa you're founding your arguments on premises that are inaccurate and not based on reality, and you're hoping that you could direct people to get into good conclusions, right? The the best way to get the only the 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 way to you you get from faulty premises to a good conclusion is by using flawed logic. Instead of trying to do that, instead instead of trying to do that, just like up attack the entire thing, like unroot the whole thing. This is rotten to the core, basically, right? Mm -hmm. This is not a good way to come up with good conclusions. Start with your foundation should be based on a methodology that is based on reality and based on evidence and based on our under modern understanding of how the brain operates and how um, operating of you know a, a society is the most productive. If that's your foundation, then you don't have to try to use these gymnastic arguments and focusing on certain verses rather than other verses to try to get people to certain conclusions. You will automatically start 
you know encourage people to get to better conclusions if your foundations if your foundations are good and you're also promoting critical thinking and logical thinking you would you in fact if your foundations are weak if your if your premises are faulty you would actually have to promote flawed logic to be able to get to good conclusions and as usual is saying in the live chat uh, using the bible to accept lgbt is as futile as uh, muslim reform yeah i i very much agree with that well i would say anyway, islamic reform not muslim reform yeah, Islamic reform. Yeah, actually, you're right. Uh, Islam, you can't reform Islam, but you can reform Muslims by encouraging them to move away from Islam. <laughs> um, all right. So, can we... Uh, hopefully uh, our editor will just cut that and put it onto the first segment where we talk about this. Great idea, great idea. Maybe just let her know. Um, can we uh, clap for the next news. You know we can. <laughs> <laughs> next news. Next news. Atheist Republic's blasphemy battle featured in German humanist publication. Yay. <laughs> wow. So I can recognize on, this part of the title. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> on August 30th, the large German humanist publication, and I'm going to butcher this German, uh, humanist Stir, uh, pres. <laughs> I want to say presidente, but it's uh, pre sedished. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, I'm not um, the president. You're the president. No. Oh, okay, it, go on. <laughs> that's the name Where of the publication. Oh, wait. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, humanistischter presidential. I'm sorry. I thought you were saying president. Um, yeah. That's the name. Oh, my God. Yes, I get it now. I said I thought. Okay. Anyways, they published an article detailing Atheist Republic's blasphemy over battle with the Indian government and um, our blocking Wait. and the legal complaints and even our issues at YouTube. And it kind of gives a good summary of what we've been dealing with since the Sexy Cali affair and our subsequent um, blasphemous art project. Um, we also uh, detailed the uh, Armin's personal page, the unprecedented step of his personal page now being blocked in India, um, despite him not you know, being a foreign citizen and Facebook completely complying with this. Um, so yeah, check it out, you guys. Um, the link is in the description. And um, there is, you know, if you're on Google Chrome, I'm assuming other internet uh, uh, explorers like do this as well, you know, just translate into English. Um, the English, the auto translation into English is like decent. <laughs> really? It's yeah, it's not yeah. the best, but like it communicates the point. Um, right. Like, and I'm just saying that because the translation of the statement that I gave to them is like not the same in English as what I actually said to them. So there is some discrepancy. Um, oh, you get the gist. But you get the gist. Yeah. Right. Now, the title seems to be translated very well. By, do by order of the government. So the title says, by order of the government, Atheist Republic and founder Armin Navobi are blocking. Oh, okay. So are blocked. Social networks are are blocking. Hey, this this translation makes it seem like I'm blocking somebody. I'm not blocking anybody. 
Um, yeah, bl- so there our, is our some black- confusion. <laughs> there is some stuff Wait, lost in translation. Just, I will be clear. Yeah, look, but our blocking social out. networks from India. Wow, the title makes me seem like so powerful. <laughs> look, the, t- <laughs> the title makes it seem like I am blocking all of social media from India. Like anything social, <laughs> all Indian social media are being blocked by me from India and the rest of the planet. Ghost Bunny is an Armin exposed. <laughs> <laughs> oh no okay this trans- okay actually i kind of like the translation i feel like i feel like wow india india <laughs> if if you behave properly i'll let you i'll let i'll unblock your social media but okay no so <laughs> that's the <laughs> rarity is saying damn it armin let india have their social networks <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is good by the order of government okay cool so let's see what it's showing. Is there some? I see some screenshots. Oh yeah. So for people who are not in the know, um, our Facebook page was blocked in India. By the way, when your Facebook page gets blocked in a country, this is Facebook admit- admitting that you didn't do anything wrong. Okay. Because if you actually did something wrong, they would just remove your page, right? So when they remove you in a specific country, it means like, okay, you didn't violate our community standards. But the government of this country is forcing us not to let people in our in your in, in their country see our social media, right? So right now we've been blocked in our face Atheist Republic Facebook page has been blocked in Pakistan and now India. Okay, so again, if you need more examples of why India is becoming more more and more like Pakistan, you know that those are the only two countries where Atheist Republic's Facebook page has been completely blocked: uh, Pakistan and India. However, India went farther than Pakistan because Pakistan didn't come after my personal Facebook account, okay? India, specifically, the Indian government specifically asked Facebook to also block my personal Facebook account in India. I have never heard of anyone else's personal Facebook account to be blocked in an entire country. Again, my Facebook account is still there. I haven't received any strikes. So this is Facebook like admitting that there's no violations on my Facebook account. It's just blocked in India. Like if you're from India and you go to my Facebook page, you see that my page is not there. But other people from other countries, unless you use a VPN, by the way, people from other, actually, I don't know if that works. Um, People from other countries could see my Facebook account, right? Again, Pakistan didn't do this. Pakistan just banned our Facebook page in, in Pakistan. India was so India's government was so butthurt about me. Like they so, they find me so offensive that my individual personal account has been blocked in India. Has any, like, has this happened? Like I, I, I might be the first person. I might be the first not page personal account that has been blocked in an entire country. Yeah. And guys, foreign citizen. Just, Facebook uh, is complying yeah. in the government of India, taking action against you, a non-Indian right. national. Yeah, and guys, let me just, for people who might not know this or have forgotten about this, this has all been about a picture of a goddess. Cartoons! This was about cartoons. This was about the drawing. All of this, and I don't know if other people know, I don't know if this is in the article, our case was mentioned in the Supreme Court of India. Is this mentioned in this article? Yeah. Okay. Our our case... All of this was over a cartoon, which, by the way, yesterday was the one-year oh, anniversary. Snap. 
actually, this is so fitting that we're covering this right now, okay? Because we made uh, art. Can I show that? Yeah. I'm yes. Sure. Okay. So if you safe go to Blasphemy, so this, yeah, Safe for Work version. So today is the one year anniversary of our Sexy, Sexy Kelly. Right? Well, so not today, actually, yesterday. Yesterday. Close enough. Uh, so us drawing Sexy Kelly, which is like a Hindu goddess. What what started all of this? Like this whole in the government of India coming after us, after all our social media, removing removing me and uh, Susanna from Twitter, by the way, um, and you know trying coming after us on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, going after um, you know my family, um, trying to come up with like things that I can't Death even threats, say here, sexual Death harassment, threats, sexual harassment of our not just me but my my family. Um, children in my family, all of this over us depicting a Hindu goddess in the most beautiful way possible. Like this, like I was expecting a thank you, to be honest, right? <laughs> right? I, like this was this was a celebration of Hindu culture, which happened almost exactly one year ago. So it's so fitting that we're covering we're covering all of this because it's the anniversary, and you guys should go to Blasphemous Archive. By the way, if you go to blasphemousart.com, you can see that we have so much more um, blasphemous art because after we started, I, thanks to the reaction that we got from India, we decided to make this a thing, right? So Kali started all of this. Mother Kali started all of this. And now it's gone, it's becoming its own thing into so many other, like, look, Muhammad and Rama we have here. We have Israel and Palestinian in Jerusalem. There's it's so many. Like, look, there's 14 pages of this blasphemous art. So go check them out on blasphemousart.com. And this is um, Sexy Kelly celebrating. So we have a cake here. It's the one-year anniversary. Happy birthday, Kelly. So, Happy birthday, blasphemous Kelly. Sexy Kelly's one-year anniversary, right? Yeah. And if you guys want to see the uncensored version of it, you can, you can click on the view uncensored version uh, button right there. It will take you to see the uncensored. And again, all of this is available on blasphemousart.com, link in the description, or you could just search for blasphemousart.com and you will get that, right? Anyways, and guys, we have new blasphemous art every single week, every single week, almost like twice a week now. So you're welcome. You're welcome, India. I know, by the way, this, I'm not, this is not a joke. Like I'm not saying you're welcome, India, as a joke. There are, as like, let me actually give credit to a lot of people from India. There are many people are in, in India who very much appreciate our art. They are, mm -hmm. I, I'm like, this is not like me, like just trying to troll and like, you're welcome, but actually being like, you know, trying to, you know, poke. Like, no, there are many people in India. We have a lot of fans from India that can't wait for our art every single week. So yeah, so you're welcome. Yeah. We actually, guys, can I be real? We improved sexy, Cal we improved Cali, okay? We did improve Cali. Like no depictions of Cali in the past, how many years has it been for Kali in Hindu culture? I don't know, thousands of years, Hundreds, right? Possibly yeah. thousands of years. Yeah. No depiction of Kali has ever been as good as what we have made Kali to be. Okay. And you can and a lot of Hindus tell us that this is not your goddess. You don't have a right to do this. No, Kali belongs to the world. You didn't, you don't have intellectual property rights on a goddess, right? Show me the filings if you do. Right. If you did, you would have have filed like a trademark violation or something by now. We, we you don't. Okay. This is this is ancient culture. Is public property. 
your your Cali belongs to everybody. You have no ownership over it. And culture is something that is dynamic and organic and changing, and it gets influenced by outside sources. And we took your culture, we improved it, and we're now sending it back to India. And you're welcome for improving your culture. Okay, we took your ancient culture, we modernized it, we made it better, and we expect nothing but thanks from you. But go on. Um, can you bring us back to the article? Oh yeah, hold on. Um, so I want to say thank you to Adrian at the German humanist publication that I cannot pronounce <laughs> for reaching out to me, um, it's about HPD. the story. HPD. Uh, yeah. HPD. HPD. Um, yeah. for reaching out to me for details about this story. Um, I thought it was really funny because one of the comments on the bottom of this article um, basically says, um, uh, you can also bring wisdom to the people more in more directly. Like for example, quote, atheists believe all those gods were made up by other people a long time ago. Such a sentence makes everyone think and it's free of racism and does not offend anyone among the living. <laughs> I was like, did you not read the article at all? Um, it's so funny that people still think this is a racist thing, but um, if it's okay, I'd racist actually like against to... what people? Blue people? Oh, go on. Um, blue I'm, lives I'm, matter. I think this. Yeah, go on. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> can I read the statement that I gave them, but in English because no, the translation? I just want to highlight. Is, I just want to highlight good. the people who think this is racist. They they're assuming that gods are a difference. Not they're not only they're not a diff, the same ethnicity as Hindu people. They're they're a different species. How could this be racist? First of all, we're not attacking gods, your gods. We're celebrating them. And even if we were attacking them, they're not your the same ethnicity. Like, what do you you think you're like this? People who think that this is an attack on their ethnicity. Do you think you have divine blood or something? Like maybe you're think like do you think you're a god you're a no I think god people or? think it's racist against Indians. I know like I'm we're just making kidding. fun of their culture no, in not. a racist way. We're improving it. I also do want to highlight this misunderstanding here in the live chat. Okay. Zakuru is saying, frankly speaking, Kali isn't even Hindu, a Hindu deity. She's a Bengali village deity. This is like this is greater in Bengal. Is this is greater India, okay? Modern India is not the same as Greater India, okay? Technically, anything that comes from the great Greater India is ancient Greater India is Hindu culture. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, you could say maybe it's different part of Greater India, but that's still Greater India, right? Yes. But I'm yes, let's give credit. Answer. Let's give credit where it's due. Um, Kelly is Bengali. And that's why often, I don't know if we did it this time, when we put her name next to, when we you know, mention her name, we, we, we don't use Sanskrit. Oh, I don't know if we did it this time. But usually when we put the name of Kali in the art next to her, we use the Bengali uh, script rather than the Sanskrit name because we recognize that she's Bengali. Did we put the name? We should always have the name there. Oh, I think we forgot to put her name on this last one. Anyways. Okay. Did you want to add something? Yeah, I just want to read the statement that I gave, but in English because the okay. Google Translate um where is isn't it? like accurate. Mm, where is it? But yeah, right go on, read the bottom. It. Oh yeah. Well, there's... I'll I'll 
read what I originally wrote. Um, so they asked me like for something about this matter that they could publish. And I said, I believe that engaging in blasphemy is far more than simply a valid form of protest. I find blaspheming to be a personal moral imperative. Blasphemy sparks conversation and a deeper reflection on cultural taboos. And it provides a unique opportunity to educate people on how the freedom to offend is invaluable. The organized efforts to harass us, either personally or judicially, will not dissuade Atheist Republic from our efforts to dissent from religious traditionalism wherever we find it across the globe. We will continue to blaspheme in solidarity with all those who fight for free expression, particularly our fellow atheists who do not enjoy the freedoms that we are privileged enough to possess um, here in North America. That was fantastic. That was perfectly said. This is why you're the president and not me. <laughs> yeah, that was very well written. Great job. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Guys, look at this. Look at these statements. This is why we need a president. <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted to give like what I originally wrote because the translation like says the freedom to cross borders and stuff when I meant when what I said was, you know, um, uh, challenging taboos, you know, just, um, I, it's probably more accurate in German, but from English to German to English, it didn't sound right. So. Right. Um, AJ saying like this latest version, we forgot to add the Bengali name. We will go and fix that. Um, the other ones that has Kali has the Bengali name there. Like we have a lot of, uh, Kali blasphemy. Sorry. So thank you for that uh, report, uh, AJ. Um, but yeah, guys, um, Go, I mean, the link to this article is in the description if you want to share it. Um, we're going to, we're not, by the way, this is, we're not done with this. Like, we are going to, like, for the next couple of decades, we're going to use this event, that all of this happened, as a way to show the nature of blasphemy and mm -hmm. blasphemy laws. In India, this will always become a case study. And, you know, I don't know if you people, if people understand this, that this, HPD is like a very authoritative, um, you know. It's possibly the largest German humanist publication. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. It's not just that. It's also one thing that people. This is a publication that people recognize as, you know, a place where it does its research and it's like, you know, authoritative and legitimate place of getting information. And we're finding more and more places to make sure that we document this, right? So I don't know if people who like attacked us like this realize how much this is going to backfire on them. Like this is uh, the, the way that they're portraying their values and, you know, current Indian culture. Again, I, I don't want to portray all Indians the same because there's a lot of resistance to this. And a lot of people in India are fight, actively fighting against these values taking over India, which is like, and we're very grateful for them, right? But this, these things demonstrates what we're dealing with and what is India dealing with, right? And, you know, it, we're going to continue make, turning this into a case study whenever we're discussing blasphemy. Like a lot of times when we talk about blasphemy laws and the issue with religion, um, you know, attacking people's rights people, on a global scale, people just mostly think about Islam. And we don't, we just want to make sure what's mm -hmm. happening in India doesn't get ignored. And our case is going to be used constantly for, for bringing attention to this, right? And, and again, a lot of people think that this was just an event that happened and went away, but they don't understand that this is 
this will be constantly referred to and we're going to make sure it gets constantly referred to as something that that should be referred to and studied and analyzed um yeah so we're going to keep using this as a way to discuss blasphemy um and 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 also this whole understanding by many atheists that maybe hinduism was different or milder or peaceful or not anti-blasphemy that has been that decades worth of pr of whitewashing hinduism in western countries Mm -hmm. was like went down the drain in over like in less than a month like i don't know how if people if people who attacked us understand how big of an l this was uh, for (laughs) hinduism like this was like a major like they basically i i don't understand like you know so much resources and money on, of propaganda and marketing of Hinduism and Indian culture, they managed to wash that away over like over weeks, and and it will continue to do so. Like within the atheist community and the humanist community, this event became something that was an eye opener. So, yeah. so thank you, by the way, to ho- to all the people that helped us make more people understand how backwards this Hindu I mean, culture. And the, yeah high profile and well-respected ex-Muslim activists and public figures who are like, I, we've never experienced anything like what we experienced because of the Hindu nationalists. Like, and we should never forget that, you know, even from our most like vitriolic and abusive, like, you know, Islamists, like, you know, haters, it's nothing in comparison. And um, I even, I've even had um, people who, you know, like Atheist Republic and support our work, but they're believing Hindus and they said this whole affair, um, one, it made them learn about us and support us um, because they don't like this type of behavior. And it actually made them reflect upon that they're glad that they are a Hindu outside of India. Mm. Yeah. It also made atheism trend for the first time in India. <laughs> True. <laughs> a lot of people were became intro- introduced to atheism and us through this. And by the way, like blocking our Facebook page in India is not going to stop us. Oh, but in that note, um, subscribe to our newsletter, link in the description, because we have given that how much India and Pakistan. By the way, congratulations again to India for becoming more like Pakistan every single day. Um, But for for people like we're making more governments angry. Like we got the Pakistani government um, hate us and the Malaysian government. We have a history mm-hmm, with them mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm, and now mm-hmm. the Indian government, which gov- like, I don't know which is going to be the next government that is going to come after us. Like, look at us. It's just, it's just, like, we're just so, we're just like me and Susie and our, and like, we're so like, popular. <laughs> like, like, like we are like governments are like finding us intimidating. And we're like, we're just, we're just like, we're just drawing cartoons and doing streams, right? And people are like, oh my God, we are a threat. By the way, I so sad that a lot of our staff, we can't mention who they are, like our artists, she's amazing, our video editor, our writers, but it's not just me and Suze, there are, many, there are other people's. And thanks to the patrons who are helping us pay them, right? Um, so, oh yeah, link to our Patreon is in the description if you want to support us on, on Patreon. And also, if you want to get all the blasphemous art Every time we make them for free to send to you, subscribe to our newsletter. The newsletter is the best way to make sure that no matter where we get removed, if we lose our YouTube channel, if we lose our Facebook page, or if we get blocked in a certain area, we will still have access to you if you are on our newsletter. And if that's not reason enough for you to subscribe, you get the blasphemous art every single week that we make them. Right? So every single week we have new blasphemous art and the way to get the safe work version of it for free 
which is also glorious. Like it's still clothed and everything. It doesn't have that censored thing on top of it, but it's beautiful. So if you want to get that, make sure you subscribe and we'll send them to you every time we make a video. Link in the description. And also like this, like our videos and stuff and share. So to uh, just like the video right now as you're, as you're watching because that helps us as well. Um, right. I have also a fun announcement before we leave. All right. And two days, I'm going to be doing a live stream with Abdullah Samir. Oh, yes. 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 Guys, um, go check out the channel. And yeah, sure so you if support. you go to the Friendly Ex Muslim channel, um, you will see that there is a stream upcoming. Um, I just put a link in. Um, and I'm very excited. Um, I'm going to be talking to Abdullah about um, religious sexual shame and um, difficulties with that, overcoming it, people's experiences. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to talk to him about um, uh, me coming from a Catholic background, maybe how that's different than from that of an Islamic background. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. And okay, uh, thank so you. Armin for the uh, topic suggestion. Yes. I just, I must say like, okay, so he doesn't put his upcoming streams on his homepage. So it's hard to find. I know the link is in the live chat, but for people who want to find this later. So his channel is the friendly ex Muslim. So go there and support like, uh, like hang out with Sue, Susan, show her support in the live chat when she's doing this. But because because he doesn't put it in his homepage, it's sometimes hard to find. I'm gonna link to this right after the stream in Asus Republic's community tab. So if you actually if you if you're not listening to this later and you can't find the link, go to Asus Republic's YouTube pages community tab, and I'll make sure I link to the stream over there. Um, also, one thing I did I didn't do that I now regret is like last time I was doing a stream. A lot of the people from our community showed up and I forgot to acknowledge them. Like I usually like music guy was there and I think other, some other people like um, secular rarity, I think was there. And usually I'm like, Hey, I see my people in the live chat. Hi guys. Hi music guy. And we're like, but I didn't do that. I was like, I feel so guilty for not doing that. Okay. So guys, uh, next time when I'm doing a stream on another channel and as a guest, if you're there, I'll try to remember to, when I see you to give a shout out or something like that. Okay. So, Sorry about that. Um, anyways, do you have anything else to say or should we go? Um, I also have, I'm, I'm doing a lot of interviews this weekend. So I have another one, but it's not live. It'll be released later. And so you guys will hear about it um, in the coming weeks. And I'm excited because they've been trying to get a hold of me for like six to nine months. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I'm I'm busy. <laughs> oh, Gossam is saying thanks to Susie for her great efforts and thanks to Armin for his presence and useful takes. Ah, thank you. That's you, you know, you know why he's saying that? Because he knows I didn't do because you did all the work for the news. He's like, thank you to Suze for the great efforts and also for Armin for talking. <laughs> for his presence. <laughs> for his presence. <laughs> I guess I guess it's good that he showed it up. Really for me. Like that. <laughs> I guess it's good that he shows up and talks, you know, while Suze does all the work. <laughs> Reacts. <laughs> Spends all day researching. 
All right. Okay. Okay. I see what you did last time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I hate you guys. You know what? I'll, I'll ban every single one of you. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's go cool before I start banning people. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>